Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast, the crossroads where science fiction, fantasy, and horror meet. I'm your host, Nathan Bartleball. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Bill Van Vagel. Bill, how are you tonight? I am feeling festive, even though it is not a Canadian Thanksgiving. I know that everyone south of the border is getting themselves ramped up, and I always know that Christmas shopping season begins after American Thanksgiving. So I hope everybody's good to go on that end. I've actually got about 90% of my Christmas shopping done, which it, thanks to a trip to Niagara Falls and the outlet malls, things get done. <laughs> well, and I think this year, particularly with some of the shipping issues and that, I'm hoping that a lot of people uh, began this earlier <laughs> as far as, <laughs> as Christmas shopping. We've, we've already done a bit of ours uh, online because of that fact, particularly when it comes to the kids. But you're right. It kind of kicks into full gear. Although, like again, this year seemed like people were already getting into it in August. Um, you know, well, when you're, when you're at home or you're quarantined and you don't have much to do and you're on Amazon buying socks and underwear anyways, you might as well get some Christmas shopping done, right? That's a very good point. Yep. And Amazon's already breaking out its early Thanksgiving sales. I always like to go around this time of year criterion collection does its 50% off and all the film fans I know in my family get, you know, criterion, (laughs) criterion, (laughs) Criterion vinegar syndrome, shout factory. They're all going to have. Anywhere between yeah. twenty to sixty percent off various yeah. titles. Arrow, Arrow's got theirs going right now. They always put out good sets. So, well, we are going to do a Thanksgiving episode, and I feel like next year, Bill, we should just do the Thanksgiving episode at the Canadian Thanksgiving. So <laughs> say the Canadian, heck with it. We'll get the Canadian Thanksgiving, and then I want to do one, say, for Arbor Day, all the tree horror. That's, that's right, Arbor Day. What as 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 Dave Becker said on the last episode, GD and Arbor Day or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, we actually have a guest. I want to go ahead and bring uh, bring him in. And our guest tonight is Brian Scott. Brian, how are you doing tonight? Hey guys, I'm so happy to be here. My second podcast ever I joined, and man, I'm really excited to talk some Thanksgiving movies. Yes, and Brian was previously on Father and Son Watch Hard, did an awesome uh, segment in there. They covered all the Halloween movies, uh, which was an awesome series. And uh, your episode in particular was also really good because we talk, you talked to the Rob Zombie Halloween movies, which are divisive, to say the least, in some, oh, yeah. in some circles. But um, a re- very interesting. And, and Brian, you were kind of solely in the kind of defender role there on the episode. I am not the biggest fan of those movies, but Halloween two, the Rob zombie Halloween two is a very weird movie to me because 
on one hand, I could sit there and shake my head at it. On another hand, it's it's fascinating to think about. <laughs> yeah, I championed those movies big time. And Jackson was kind of on my side. But definitely Matt and Ashley were not fans <laughs> of those two movies. But no. it made for a great conversation, that's for sure. Yeah, and I and I do recommend anyone who hasn't seen, you know, to give them a, a shot. Because I, I would say both of them have things in them that are good, even if you ultimately find they're not for you. But and, uh, and I was going to say, I know that Brian is a big Rob Zombie fan, and my oh, yeah. most underrated zombie movie, or zombie movies, uh, Rob Zombie, not Night of the Living <laughs> Dead Zombie, uh, is Lords of Salem. Oh, it's a great it, one. Because it used to get crapped on a lot. And I think, I, while it's not brilliant, brilliant, I think it's a much better movie than it's given credit for. That movie creates a great atmosphere in the beginning of the movie with yes. the re- recording studio and the mystery until it really gets into the wacky parts of it. I mean, it, it's a, it's a good movie. It's a great movie. It's probably and one I of think, the I, I, sorry, I just want to. I just want to say I think Barbara Crampton is great with a pan. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned that, Brian, because uh, years ago when I was a, a, a film critic, they had sent me a screener for uh lords of salem and i'm not the biggest rob zombie fan and i was watching lords of salem and what you said is exactly right like creates this great atmosphere it's kind of slow burn and i'm like wow this is really turning a page for him you know this is very different it, it was different than his normal uh straight yeah. white trash killer you know type yeah, yeah exactly and i i had to go and do something else so i'd only watched about 25 minutes of it, and i did something i never do because one of my friends is like lords of salem is that just the same old rob zombie crap and i'm like no i mean i think he's done it i think this is it and then i turned the rest of the movie on. Yeah. <laughs> and then and personally speaking that's when it kind of went into music video territory for me yeah. a little bit but Definitely. um Great episode. I, I love that. I recommend everyone go out and check it out. It's in the show notes. And that whole series, the whole Halloween series, uh, and as, as everyone knows, we love uh, Matt and Jackson here. They, they run oh, yeah. a great show. And uh, they will be on again soon in the in the near future. But tonight, we are going to talk about Thanksgiving movies. And, you know, we didn't do a Thanksgiving episode last year, I don't believe, uh, Bill. I did one years ago on Phantom Galaxy. And I think we did, like uh, – it was all around feasts and like and, and eating, you know. So it was like a lot of cannibal movies and things like that. <laughs> I think I kind of eschewed Hollow uh, Thanksgiving as a holiday altogether. But I was going to say, if we do that again, I want the the last orgy of the SS. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a there's an upcoming movie called Feast as well that the Feast that looks interesting. Um, but this uh, this episode's Thanksgiving, and we didn't even limit it just to say science fiction. In fantasy and horror, we kind of just opened up, said Thanksgiving movies. And I think in Phantom Galaxy, honestly, when we get to some of these topics, that's probably how we'll roll sometimes is, hey, I'm I'm cool just talking movies sometimes. We will obviously have most of our episodes will have some sort of genre bent. But I think uh, here and we and of course, you know, us, that's kind of where we're thinking. So all of our movies have a little bit, you know, I think they even the most the least genre movies are still genre movies in some in some terms i think but, i was gonna say because over the time since i've been with it we you know we have covered horror obviously sci-fi fantasy uh docudramas uh we've gone over comedies we've done anime we've like this is not unusual yeah. for us and as we're going to delve into each one of these as you've said you can attach some bent of the above genres into each one oh, yeah. of these movies Easily, but, but I'm ready to branch out, man. I'm ready to do a whole episode about the Pink Panther movies, Bill. 
<laughs> as, as, as long as we don't get into the movies movies that make you cry you know i don't want to do something like that <laughs> i guess it depends on how they make you cry are they so bad they make you cry <laughs> or, okay, no i then think that's... he's talking like legends of the fall can't yeah, watch that one <laughs> or, i was gonna say yeah, the ones terms that, of endearment that kind of thing yeah, yeah. The, the ones that are so bad are called vod roulette which we need to get going again yes yes yeah those and, are good episodes so each one of us picked two movies uh, Brian, Bill, and myself. And what we're going to do is kind of go around the horn, talk about the movies, why we chose them. And then at the end, we will have a more open discussion about some of the other Thanksgiving movies that we enjoy. Some of them we didn't pick because either they end up being talked about a lot or they were actually very hard to find, even though I think they're kind of, you know, there's a couple of movies that are like, hey, I think lots of people like this movie, but we could not get a hold of it to save our lives for the, the streaming. So uh, why don't we go ahead and start, Bill, with you? Why don't you open up and share your first movie? Okay, well, when I went into this, I kind of suggested to Nathan, how about a Thanksgiving episode? And he said, yeah, okay, that's cool. And then I said, well, let's open it up because, you know, we all have preferences beyond our sci-fi fantasy horror. But what was my first one? It was a horror. <laughs> <laughs> but there are ones that I'm sure Brian will bring up that, get brought up often because there are not a lot of Thanksgiving horrors. And so, but there was one that was kind of lurking around. I had known about it for a while and through my various podcasts and my personal time, I just hadn't gotten the chance to watch. So this was an absolutely perfect time for me to give this one a, a look at. So this is 2014's Christie. Now Christie was directed by Ollie Blackburn who, when I looked over his resume, did the movie Donkey Punch, if you remember that one. Actually, kind of a clever little film, actually. This one stars Haley Bennett, who's been in a lot, uh, most particularly The Magnificent Seven and The Girl on the Train and The Equalizer. Not not the um, TV show, but the one with Bruce Willis. Because uh, I don't think she would have been born when Edward Woodward... Equalizer, the one with... Uh, uh... Uh, excuse me, Denzel Washington. Oh, sorry, Denzel. Did I say Bruce? Was Bruce Willis yeah, in that one? Bruce Willis did Death Wish. Oh, Death Wish. Death <laughs> Wish equalizer. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Ashley Green, who is... Uh, I've never seen the Twilight films, but a lot of people know her from that. And she was on the TV show Rogue. And it had Lucas... I gotta look up his last Lucas name. Lucas Till. Oh, okay, I couldn't till. Yeah, I, I for some reason my writing I thought it was an X. I was like, no, it's not. He's <laughs> he's he's on the TV show MacGyver, and he was in a whole bunch of the X Men films. All right. So the IMDb uh, synopsis is: When a college girl who was alone on campus over the Thanksgiving break is targeted by a group of outcasts, she must conquer her deepest fears to outwit them and fight back. Now, this gets a 5.9 on IMDb, which actually, for the horror-thriller type genre, isn't all that bad. So I had pretty decent hopes. So the movie opens up with a dead girl lying in a field. And then in the credits, there's an ominous voice saying, Christy has to be found and killed because she believes in Christ. And violent images on a computer message board appear. And you're kind of going, well, we see a girl that's in peril. And then all of a sudden we cut across to this secret organization on a message board. What is going on here? Yet true to horror form, it cuts to 
girls at college. A college girl, Christy, played by Haley Bennett, stays behind during the Thanksgiving break. Her roommate says she's going to stay, but she ends up getting sent back out home because she's got parents that want to see her. She's basically, which I found oddly, basically the only student left on this entire campus, which, I mean, you got to think there's a few people that don't celebrate that would be there, but nonetheless, it made for convenience for the film. You know, it starts almost as an upbeat movie. There's a poppy soundtrack. There's uh, filming of her exercising and jogging and swimming and things. And you're like, oh, okay, this is, you know, kind of like an, an homage to an 80s, you know, happy time movie. Then it gets eerie because she's on the campus all by herself. Now, she, her roommate that left has a quite well-to-do car. I forget what it is, a Lamborghini or a Porsche or something. <laughs> She goes driving in it, and she she wants to go get some Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So she goes down to the corner store in her fancy car. She gets her ice cream and her drink, and she kind of uh, gets along well with the security guard and says she's going to get him, I think it's pumpkin pie and uh, a pop, a Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. And so she goes to the store, and she's confronted in there by this really creepy hooded woman about her age with piercings in her lip and her ear and her nose and very dark looking and is giving her a hard time at the counter. She pays for her, for her drinks and her food skedaddles out of there and busts out of the parking lot. And on her way home in the dark, the, this other car cuts her off in the road and she has to do her best driving to get around and I'm not going to belabor the point. What happens is when she gets to campus, she's getting chased down by a group of masked and hooded individuals who basically want her dead. And it basically becomes a cat and mouse, let's play hide and seek on campus. It becomes a survival movie. So what starts out as a kind of easygoing mystery movie becomes very deadly. There's a lot of tension. Who are these people? Why are they chasing her? What degree of seriousness are they into killing this girl? Is there anything behind Christy that we don't know about? Maybe there's a reason they want after her. It almost has a, a purge feeling uh, that I got at certain points because there's unknown assailants wearing masks after somebody who seemingly has no reason to be uh, gone after. Yet, one of the weird things I found is she's really good friends with the security guard, but he appears to be the only security guard on a large uh, urban university. Like, I didn't see any other security people there in the, whole, in the whole school. So I found that a little odd. It plays off dark shadows. There's isolation. There's fear. There's a lot of r running through libraries and underneath desks and tables through dorms and corridors and these people will stop at nothing to kill her. It's basically a long game of hide and seek around campus with deadly uh, ramifications, almost uh, like uh, come and get it. What was that one? Come and get it. No, ready or not. Ready or not. That's it. Ready or not. Very much like ready or not. And there's a small, so a small role for James Ransom. If you don't know who James Ransom is, if you've seen Sinister, 
He's kind of that deputy guy that kind of goes that knows Ethan Hawke's books really, really well. Yeah. Ex- except yeah, he plays good. a guy. He plays a guy who's stoned out of his mind, and uh, uh, Bennett goes in her in that place for kind of refuge. And let's just say things don't end well for Mister Ransom. You know, when this movie plays out, there's nothing groundbreaking on here. You kind of know how it's going to play out. You kind of figure out basically what's going on. You don't know the exact logistics, but I mean, you've seen enough of these movies. You know how it's going to play out. You're just hoping for a fun ride. And for the most part, it does. It's it's a decent game of hide and seek with deadly consequences. I will say the ending, I liked the ending, and it, it was very Roger Corman-esque. Let's just put it that way. I gave this a seven and a half out of 10. And without giving too much away, this might fit into the cult genre. I don't know what you guys thought about this, but the, you could do a lot worse than watch Christie. Yeah, definitely. So Brian, what one. did you, I was, was going to say, Brian, had you seen this and what did you think of it? I had never even heard of it till you told me. And I'm glad you did because <clears throat> I really liked this movie. I thought it was amazing. And Kind of like the cat and mouse you were talking about, what I liked about it was, in typical slasher movies, you see the same tropes. Like, the the final girl's pretty stupid. She's not. Like, she sets up a lot of traps for them, and they fall into these traps. So, she is a pretty intelligent final girl, in my opinion. I mean, and I really like this movie. You know, I, I, I'm a little higher. I'm about an 8 out of 10 on this. So, oh, nice. it, was a, it was a great pick by you. Yeah, and and sometimes blind picks work out. Sometimes blind picks don't. This one, it really did. What did you think of this one, Nathan? I'm basically where Brian was in terms of the fact that I actually had never seen it. And surprising that I was a critic around the time this movie came out. And oftentimes, movies like this would be sent to me. This one flew completely under my radar. I'm actually glad that I saw it now under these circumstances than maybe in 2014. Because like you had mentioned earlier, Bill, there are some tropes going on here that to sort of remind you of The Purge. And The Purge was 2012. The next summer in 2013, we had You're Next. And so the Mass Killers thing, you know, you had the Strangers movies. The Mass Killers thing was kind of played out at that point in time. So I'm glad that I kind of saw this now where that, you know, that trope is obviously not gone. But with a little bit of time in between, this movie maybe felt a little fresher than it would have if I saw it in 2014 amidst a lot of these other movies. I have a thing i love that you know lonely campus shut down only a few people hanging about trope that are that's used in horror movies all the way back to black christmas and you know even even before that uh i i always like how that works out house of the devil is another movie that kind of minds that ambiance and, and, and let's not forget one of jason Pyle's favorite the dorm that drip blood the dorm that drip blood but when you have that call and and i remember I would often, because I, when I was at college, I didn't live so far away from family members that I would kind of go away for break, and I lived off campus, so I would always be near campus, and it it, it gets to be a pretty lonely place in those those winter months and and in those holidays when everybody goes home. So I like the usage of it here, uh, and again, this is Thanksgiving break, so you have a few references to Thanksgiving. That's basically all that's going on here, but I found the movie as both of you did, it was very fun. It was very engaging. And uh, Justine, the character's name is not Christy. Actually, 
who, in quotes, Christy is, is actually kind of interesting. That's kind of what the second half of the movie, you know, I guess in terms, Christy is like the antithesis of Karen, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. what a Karen is, Christy is like the opposite of that in a sense. But where the story goes, I thought, was a lot of fun. And Brian, you're right, and I don't want to give anything away. The intelligence of the central character, you're, you're right. She sets traps. She does things. She's smarter. But it's not just a case of, oh, you didn't run into the room that has no exit. You know, she yeah. does things in this movie that we as the audience don't see coming. So when they when they happen, those are almost a twist. You know, the way she's able to turn the tables end up being some of the twists and turns that I didn't foresee. So while not terribly original. I think the movie does exactly what it needs to do. It sets us up. It kind of is disarming, Bill, like you said. It doesn't start with the ominous music. It doesn't start with the creepy right off the bat. But once it does, it escalates pretty quickly. I think that, uh, you know, all the actors did the job they were supposed to do. I think they were all very good. I think um, Halo Mills particularly was very strong as the protagonist. And uh, where, where I did like where the story ultimately went and how the story wraps up. So a big surprise for me. I'm right there uh, with you, Bill and uh, Brian. You know, uh, I could even be coaxed into a little higher. A seven point five for me. It's a really fun movie and uh, a really good uh, suspense thriller. Definitely a horror film. So yeah, there was there was one point where I wondered if the, I and I don't want to give too much away. If the writers of The Walking Dead were watching <laughs> at, at one point, and th- but I, I'll say one thing, and it's not giving anything away. At one point, the title character falls off a roof. No yes. broken leg or arm, really. <laughs> it had to be at least four stories. Yeah, I just dust it off and keep going. <laughs> she's athletic, though. She's athletic. She jumps. Yes. That's why it's important to keep yourself in good shape. I would have broken into pieces if I fell <laughs> off. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I definitely. If you guys haven't seen Christy, give it a watch. You know, over the holidays, you know, sit with your wife, hold her hand, get all romantic, and watch Christy. You know. Or yeah, if you yeah. are sitting here listening to this and stuck on campus and can't leave, maybe don't watch this right now. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, there was a few parts of the movie I, I really did like, um, about 15 minutes in, in, maybe. I thought this movie was really well shot also because they really made a uh, made a point to show the campus. They had a lot of like uh, tracking shots down hallways, you know, they had the goofy part where she comes out dancing and jogging to music, but like there was a lot of cool shots of through the hallways, kind of like the shining almost like showing how empty yes. it was, how vacant it was, how maybe scary it would be kind of setting the scene for why it was so scary for her to be her to be there alone. But yeah, I, I really liked this movie. I thought it was, I thought it was a great pick bill. Yeah. And, and my, my one complaint was even if a university is, on break there's more than one student yeah <laughs> it, it works though it's fine yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah one student one security guard one guy yeah, one at the stu- gate yeah one guy oh. at the gate who who, yeah. who meets his demise and no state police no local police not yeah. even bloody security camp <laughs> and the guy you were talking about that she ran to his house that that must have been like an off-campus kind of like a house like next door yeah. i guess is that what it was I, okay yeah it, it, he was adjacent, but I think he was head of security. 
Oh, he, he was. Gave her, okay. he, he gave her a key or something to open up one of the the rooms or something. But yeah, I agree with you. You already said what happens to him. So I'm just going to say he didn't handle it very well. There's a one bad thing about a horror movie when somebody comes in saying, oh my God, there's a killer. They're like, oh, let me handle this. You know, and no, no well, when his first re- thing possible, <laughs> his first response is I'm getting off the couch. I'm very stoned. Yeah. And oh. he's like, I can't find my cell phone. I haven't seen it. Like who does I mean, in, even in 2014, your cell phone's attached to your hip. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they have to find, they have to yes. look for it everywhere. But you know, he can't, find, it, his phone. He can't yeah. find his phone. He can't find his keys. He's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he smoked a lot. <laughs> I guess he did. Or it was really good stuff. Hey. Yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> never know. But Alrighty. it's a fun movie. It's worth seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, so Nathan, what are you bringing to the table? Okay. Well, I, my first movie is Adam's Family Values from 1993. And, you know, we've all identified that the Christmas Halloween movie out there is Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, also from 93. Actually released about the same time as this movie, I, I think, uh, within weeks of each other. And this is the Thanksgiving Halloween movie. <laughs> really, you can watch it either time, and it kind of works. Now, I do acknowledge that Adam's Family Values uh, is not extensively a Thanksgiving movie, meaning that it uh, isn't taking place necessarily at Thanksgiving, uh, or nor is it really about Thanksgiving in any other essential way, except that there's an extended sequence where the summer camp decides to throw a Thanksgiving play, which I thought sort of satirizes and captures a lot of the weird inconsistencies I have with the holiday in general. And of course, uh, the theme of dealing with odd family members and learning how to deal with new ones that come along, you know, that plays in pretty well, I think with some of our own Thanksgiving experiences, at least mine. So, uh, oddball families and gallows humor that kind of taps into Thanksgiving for me. This of course was the sequel to the 1991 movie, the Adams family movie that was remaking the TV show, you know, and what I appreciated about that movie in 91 was I thought the casting was right on. Barry Sonnenfeld was the director. I thought the tone was great. The look, this gothic look for the, the, the world that they inhabit. It was very Tim Burton, but it was also a little bit sillier than that, you know. So it was, uh, it, had, it was very tongue-in-cheek. That first movie, again, I thought they nailed the cast. It, the chemistry between Angelica Houston and Raul Julia was tremendous. They're playing they, these are great actors playing essentially cartoon comic strip characters right and christopher lloyd in that one's hamstrung a little bit because he's supposed to, he's a i don't want to get into too much of the plot but you know is he uncle fester is he not is sort of the plot of that movie and in fact the plot was the problem with that 91 movie in my opinion the adams family worked better as small little vignettes little sketches that show this family which is uh kind of absurdly macabre but it that's it, a regular day with them is a nightmare for everybody else. You know, the, the jokes they make are very gallows humor and things like that. Uh, but Christina Ricci as Wednesday Adams was awesome in that first movie. Uh, and everything about the sensibility worked. I just didn't like that. They were as they do when they make a lot of these films, when they decide to make a Flintstones movie or, you know, uh, the Brady Bunch movie, the Brady Bunch movie kind of worked because they, they basically just satirized it the whole time. But, with the Adams family, the original movie, they felt like they needed to jam in some kind of plot that made no sense. Like we don't need to see a scam, you know, <laughs> this scam plot about lost relatives. We just kind of want to see the Adams family doing their thing. So I feel like they learned that lesson 
In the second film, there's a plot, but it's very it's 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 very simplistic and it sort of opens the door for a lot more kind of gags and silliness. You basically in this one, Uncle Fester, who is firmly kind of uh restored and implanted into the family in this movie, uh he he wants to get married. He's been watching uh Gomez and Morticia kind of go back and forth with their love affair. And he wants to get married and he ends up with a, uh, with a woman who is clearly from the outside of gold digger and also clearly from the outside of psychopath <laughs> played by Joan Cusack, who I think she's great in the movie. She's got, she's playing up the kind of femme fatale sex pot thing. Uh, at one point, I believe she, you know, thing, the disembodied hand, she sucks on one of the fingers and says, Oh, I'm good with my hands. But uh, I actually had that in quotes. I bet you did. Uh, (laughs) And and this whole movie is essentially, like I mentioned, it's almost it's like small little vignettes that have been patched together with this storyline. But I find the storyline works because the ultimate theme with the Adams family is as weird as they are, as offbeat as they are, they and, and as strange as they are to the outside world, they make sense to one another. They're always there for one another. And now you have this usurper that's coming in to try to to break down that dynamic and the jokes work for me. Yes, this is nostalgic. I was first year in high school when I saw this movie. So my sense of humor was, was maybe a little bit more, it hasn't matured much since then, but maybe, maybe just an, an inch, but I loved all the one liners. I loved all the gags. And I specifically like the storyline. The one that, that elevates this for me is that partway through the movie, once Cusack learns that the kids that Wednesday and Pugsley are on to her, she has them shipped off to this summer camp. And the summer camp is some Orwellian nightmare of a summer camp. And it's run by the two biggest goons you've ever seen, you know, uh, and Christine Baranski and, uh, Oh, uh, what is his name? Uh, Peter McNichol. Peter McNichol, who has been in a ton of movies. Inexplicably, he was the hero in Dragon Slayer, but he's also was on Ally McBeal for a while. And I think a lot of people recognize him as the the uh, owner of the art gallery in Ghostbusters 2 and uh, who, who gets possessed halfway through that movie. But he and Baranski are running the summer camp in the you know, big, sunny, happy, whitewashed everything. And at some point during this, this entire debacle, they decide that they're going to throw a, in the middle of summer, a Thanksgiving play that's going to, uh, they've wrote it themselves, immortalize all that the pilgrims did for the native Americans. And of course, all of the outcast children, any child of color, any child who uh, has a disability or is weird in any way, they're all the native Americans. <laughs> <laughs> and then they they make the mistake, the fatal mistake of making uh, Wednesday Adams against against her uh, desire to uh, they, they make her Pocahontas. Now, <laughs> Pocahontas just wedged into the Thanksgiving story in this telling. But there's a big dance number where the turkey is screaming, eat me and uh, <laughs> various things go down. Her speech, she does deliver a speech uh, that is not, it is sort of impromptu. It certainly was not in the script that the uh, the camp counselors had written for her. That's probably my favorite point in the movie and does underscore the Thanksgiving theme. The movie's completely silly, but I do think that if you're looking for this kind of thing, that it's it's a 90s comedy, it's based off a TV show, these characters have lots of chemistry together, they have a lot of energy, and the movie's silly. I find uh, Bill and I were talking right before this started, and Bill's like, well, who is this movie for? 
which is a, a valid question. But I think the strength of this particular Adams Family movie is it can you can watch it as a kid and get the slapstick. There's a little baby here named Pubert, by the way. There's a little mustache and everything comes right out of the womb with the mustache. And uh, there's slapstick stuff involving the baby that my kids were all into, and they weren't as focused on some of the more mature gags. Uh, a lot of fun cameos in this movie. Tony Shalhoub as one yep. cameo. Nathan Lane delivers some classic lines. He only has about three lines, but he, he nails it when he's and, in the... Uh, uh, Peter Graves. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, there, there, Yeah, there's just a lot of funny stuff in the movie, in my opinion. Is it all cohesive? No, not entirely. But I could watch Angelica Houston and Raul Julia go back and forth all day uh, with their with what they were doing. And honestly, Wednesday, again, Christina Ricci was very young when she's in this movie, but her Wednesday Adams, what she does to that character, it makes her so kind of strange and weird. And there's a moment when she tries to smile. <laughs> it's a great bit of like physical comedy acting just with your face. I thought, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's a lot of fun. You could say that there's not a lot of meat on the bones, but as just a kind of skeleton which to hang the gag that is the Adams family. I think this is the best Adams family movie they've done. In a lot of ways, I enjoyed this cast a little bit better than the old cast. No, 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 not taking anything away from John Aston, who I think is wonderful and has that real creepy, weird cockeyed leer that he does. But uh, Raul Julie is pretty good too. Yeah. What did, what did you think of this one, uh, Brian? Well, it was a little it, this of the six movies we're talking about. This is probably the least one I liked, but I still liked it, and there was things to like into it. And I agree with Nathan. To me, the highlight of the movie was the Thanksgiving play, because I do have some American Indian um, like heritage in my family, so I really got a kick out of uh, how she <laughs> flipped the script and went rogue and surprised yes. the directors and the parents and kind of told the the dark side of, uh, you know, the Thanksgiving story. So that was pretty cool. And then, um, and actually my son was watching this with me and that part scared him because they whipped <laughs> out like bone flaming. And this is a kid who his, he likes chopping mall. So I'm like, <laughs> Dylan, are you really scared of this? And like, because they pulled out the flaming bow and arrows and shot him at the director of the play. And, uh, you know, they threw the parents off the, uh, you know, back off the um, bleachers they were sitting on and kind of, then they tied the girl up and we're going to burn her at the stake. I'm like, wow, this is, this is actually pretty dark for a, a family movie. <laughs> yeah. But and I, the movie it, doesn't, it great, the movie doesn't necessarily course correct that my daughter turned its head because later he holds up the retainer and my daughter says, yeah, <laughs> they, they, they ate her. <laughs> That's a question to me, and I said no. And I think so. They like they throw the dark stuff in, and because it it was the '90s, they kind of get away with it. I don't know that he'd be able to do that with the Adams family. I mean, they make jokes about murder and serial killers. There's an Amy Fisher joke in this movie. Well, and um, keep in mind too. I mean, another subplot is uh, Wednesday and Pugsley are trying to murder the baby. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. Right. And it's like, you know, there's knives flying around at with the baby. The baby is holding knives. The baby yeah. has a has like a little uh mobile above its uh, crib that is nothing but knives hanging off yeah. of the <laughs> string. But the tone of the movie is so kind of silly that you kind of go with it, you know. Um you know, it's like, oh, we haven't killed anyone today. It's like, well, the day's not over. You know, the, the jokes yeah. like that. Uh, I was surprised it was actually PG-13, too. That was the one thing that 
kind of made me a little interested in the movie. I'm like, wow, PG 13. This is, this is going to be good then. They do, they do push the edges a little bit with the, with some of the sexual jokes. And you can tell there's a few scenes. I feel like they added in to take away from that. Because again, there's implied cannibalism later on. You Uh see the baby flies up past the plane and you see the, the parents and you see, um, Oh, yeah. uh, I can't yeah. think of the uh, of what the character's name, but but the actress, the same actress who played Harmony later in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and uh, this, uh, so you see them on the plane. Oh, okay, they're safe, but you know, yeah, it, it, comes, guy, it comes pretty late in the game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the guy, her husband was the boss from Friends. I don't remember his name, but he plays in a ton of things too. Yeah, they were both yeah. great characters. Well, it's, it's funny when I was watching it and they were at camp. All I could think of is Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the one girl. But you know what? The Adam's Family Values. It is what it is. I, I honestly, I probably remember when it was out. But as I was saying before we came on air, that was '93, my first year university. I was drinking. I wasn't watching Adam's Family Values. But you could tell that this was at either an adult level because they know that you're bringing your kid, or at a kid's level. Because I watched this with my six-year-old daughter, Ella, and she loved it because she had just recently seen the animated movie of the Adams Family Values. So she related yeah. or the, she related to the characters and she kind of knew who everybody was, but she also was old enough to realize that these characters were being portrayed differently than they yeah. are in the, in the animated version. I, and the thing with the Adams Family Values, the one that Adam's Family Values, the TV show, the later movies, the cartoon. One thing that becomes extremely apparent is that it's the treatment of outsiders. There's there's the outsider treatment and of bullying. Those two themes kind of come along pretty strong, regardless of the storyline. Those two themes, I find, uh, went right through the whole time. My one major criticism of the film was that I found Christopher Lloyd Lloyd way too hammy. I I thought he was a I little. I totally old. agree. I totally agree, Bill. Yeah, that, he was, that's he what was, I was thinking through the movie. Because by the end of it, I'm like, man, I love Christopher Lloyd, but wow, he was he was way too over yes. the top and silly for me. I I almost uh, thought it was a yeah. waste of his talent. I totally agree on that. So now I'm sure the director probably you know, told them to do it as yeah. such, you know. Uh, but I did, I made a note of the Amy Fisher criminal card. I, I got a kick out of that. And at the beginning where they're playing with a couple of their friends and their other friends are saying, and the stork comes down and then the stork yes. drops the kid off. And then, and then Wednesday just goes, oh, our parents had sex. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so at that point, I had to run out and that night we were watching it. The, we had ordered pizza and I ran up to grab the pizza and I was like, go ahead guys, start the movie. I'll be right back. And as I walked in the house, Johnny looks at me and grins and says, well, our parents just had sex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, great. Well, that's great. Now that don't have to deal with that. That's good. Yep. <laughs> and it happened while I was out of the house. Perfect. Better learn from the Adams family than anybody else. Uh, not to do a big defense of, of Lloyd. Cause he certainly is hammy, but I think the problem there is that Uncle Fester's just, what do you do with that character? He's a he's extremely yeah. irritating character sort of in the the comics and in, 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 the, in the, the comic strips. I mean, he's just sort of there and he, he says crazy things and it's usually in a high-pitched voice. So, like, he's barely a character. And if, even if you watch the more recent cartoon, he's just sort of on the side there. What do you possibly do with him? Uh, so when you hire Christopher Lloyd, 
the what he does is he does humanize him a little bit, makes him an actual character, but then he's way over the top from anything you've seen uh, Christopher Lloyd do before. Well, for the exception of the movie that Christopher Lloyd made earlier that summer, which was Dennis the Menace, where he's even worse in that movie. He is like this sort of but, but derelict. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like he's channeling his inner Jim Ignatowski. Yeah, like he's, yeah. He's just yeah. so... Wow. He is he's very boisterous. I think that's the only way they could think to make that character weird and still kind of work. Because while I agree that's a campy uh, Christopher Lloyd, I still kind of got a kick out of him for the most part. I think that Christopher Lloyd's about the only person I can think that would have made that character work at all because I kind of don't think it does work. Like he'd have to just come in, he, he, in the show, he just comes in and makes weird asides and walks back out and they have to have the, they, in this, in both films, the plot revolves around him. So I think, I, you know, it sort of is what it is. <laughs> and the other thing that I find interesting, this is 1993 and these days, a lot of the narrative is, you know, the, um, the male being the, you know, the masculine, strong, over the top, almost, you know, irritating. Here he's very emasculated in this film. Well, that's so the whole storyline is sort of, yeah. you know, it's that. And uh, but, Cusack, I thought Joan Cusack was great, though. I think her oh, character is, yeah. I think she was brilliant. My last note, Cusack has magic bu- boobs. Because <laughs> she kept <laughs> holding them, and and all all she had to do was kind of swagger her cleavage, and he just okay, whatever, you know, whatever you want, honey. Yeah, I don't think you normally <laughs> nothing taking from Joan Cusack. She's a great actress. Another thing, normally Cusack's presence in a movie is sexy. You know what I mean? But no. here she is. Yeah, she's. You know, I'm good with my hands, and she's licking her <laughs> licking hands fingers. You know, well, she was like, definitely more attractive than uh, dementia. Who you eventually got <laughs> dementia. That's right. Dementia towards the end. <laughs> he would well, well, say it means uh, madness. And he it, says, it means oh, insanity. I'm, yeah, it's sanity. He says, I'm fester. It means to rot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's different. Like you're seeing her with her cleavage hangout and stuff. Yeah. And I'm used to seeing her in School of Rock. Right. Where she's this uptight, you know, kind of. Uh, yeah. So it shows she does have range. <laughs> yeah. So I think you should see her in like 16 Candles with the. Uh, Head, that's head what, uh, brace thing. So right, right, exactly. But I think she's uh, she's really good in this, and I think everybody's really good in this. It's a sad that we lost Raul Julia um, young, like we did. Uh, but for for someone like him to come and do this, like I thought he brought a lot of like energy to it, and I liked what he did with it. But I mean, you know, there are uh, are there throwaway things in this movie. I mean, there's a ton of stuff you could throw away, but there's also I think some absolutely brilliant. Uh, parts to it and one of those parts is the entire summer camp sequence well the one part that you guys like the play which was cool i like the scene where they try to convert her and they stick her in that cabin by playing the wholesome movies and all of a sudden you're hearing sound of music and (laughs) i forget what uh, brady bunch at one point brady bunch and it was like little mermaid and you know she's trying to fake her way through knowing her end game. So if you just play the game, then she'll get to be in the play. What's David Krumholtz say when they're pulling out like Bambi? He goes, no, he's only a child. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 yeah, like I, I fully expected them to, um, uh, what's the one where the uh, dog gets shot at the end? Old Yeller. Old Yeller. I fully expected Old Yeller to be. <laughs> they would have enjoyed that though. You know, that would have been the thing. They're like, well, it was redeemed in the end, but uh, I give this a 7.5. I really like it. 
Yeah, I give this a six and a half. I just found it. I found the uh, Christopher Lloyd thing just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I, I give it about a six out of ten. It was worth a watch for sure, but it probably won't be anything I revisit anytime soon. So. It's, it's it's definitely a 90s film. There's no yes. Oh, for sure. for sure. Absolutely. And, and I mean, I, something to be said about this is the cast is really good. I mean, Raul Julia and um, Morticia, Angelica Houston are real great. And, um, and like you said before... Um, Christina Ricci really steals the show. She is the perfect Wednesday. Like yeah. that is cast perfectly. And when you see how many times that baby just is flying in the air, <laughs> see off the, a, yeah. <laughs> it's off a railing or it's down a hallway or well, they throw, the her, they throw them off the roof. <laughs> yeah, they kind yeah. of use them as kind of like, um, uh, in like a teeter totter where the thing flings in the air. Yes. Like yeah. it's, it's like he's all over the place. But the moment, the only moment they're truly concerned for that baby's welfare is when it sprouts dimples and blonde hair. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only time they're worried something bad may be happening. <laughs> but so, yeah, what did you what, what did you give? Oh, you gave it uh, seven and a six. half, didn't you? I oh, did. No, I did six, six, six or Brian, six and a half for you, seven and a half. I'm the I'm the high one on this one, but I have I have no regrets. I love the movie. I think it's a lot of fun. And uh, but it is very 90s. Uh, to me, it's the best Adams family thing that's probably out there. Uh, I enjoyed it more. Actually, I was a little bit bored by the two animated films they recently made, even though they go back to the Charles Adams illustration style for the characters. And uh, I did not care. They did a, a if you want to see what happens when you have a bad fester, the straight to DVD follow up to this that had Tim Curry as Gomez Adams and is not really worth watching at all. That was a hot mess. And then you can see, you can see why, uh, what Christopher Lloyd was doing was a little bit better here than maybe it seems mostly because of what we're used to coming from Christopher Lloyd. But Brian, how about your, uh, first of your two movies? Well, I'll just say up front right here. The, I'm not living up to my moniker of horror movie fanboy because I did not pick horror movies for either of mine. They're more suspense or thriller type movies. So the first one, let's go with Knives Out 2000, uh, I believe 19, maybe. Yep. Yep. And um, I don't have a synopsis here, but basically it's a clue type movie from the 80s. It's a murder mystery that takes place all in one location in a house. So if you love Clue, you're going to love this. And the first thing that came to mind that I love about this movie, Knives Out, is the cast is incredible. Top to bottom, every single person in this family is an amazing actor or actress. We're talking Daniel Craig is a private investigator. We got, um, we have, um, let's see here, Chris Evans, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Christopher Plummer. Wow. Christopher Plummer was amazing in this. Tony Collette, Don Johnson, among many others. So the the plot loosely is, it starts out with Daniel Craig and a couple policemen investigating all the members of the family after Christopher Plummer, the matriarch or patriarch of the family, passes away under mysterious circumstances. Is it a suicide? Is it a murder? Did, did people in the family have something, a motive, something to gain from his death? So it really is a murder mystery and done in such a smart way, such an incredible way. 
And um, I really like this movie. What'd you guys think? Uh, I, uh, Nathan, why don't you tell me the line that your son said about Daniel Craig? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we just started watching, he and I started watching some of the James Bond movies because uh, a few weeks ago we were going to go to the theater and see No Time to Die. He hadn't seen any of them. So I was like, well, we'll get back to, you know, uh, Dr. No and all that stuff later. Let's just show him the Daniel Craig. So we watched a couple of the Daniel Craig ones. We still have not yet seen No Time to Die because we realized it was almost a three-hour movie. And we had a hard time trying to find a, the time to fit it in. So we haven't seen it yet. But we start watching Knives Out. And, of course, Daniel Craig is in this movie. And he is playing the kind of inspector character. And, and then I get the Christie movie. You know, he co- this, this is the character that comes in and decides to solve the crime. You know, like a Clouseau type. And uh, or a Perot, if you're talking Christie, you know, uh, would come in and solve the 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 mystery. And he's on screen for a few minutes. And my son is kind of looking at him and looking at him. And he's like, Dad, does that guy look like a pudgy James Bond to you? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, as a matter of fact, son, (laughs) I'm that he he saw it. He's like, oh, okay." (laughs) so. Um, yeah, that opening 20 minutes where Daniel Craig's sitting there at the piano and he hits a little key bing, yeah. every now and then just to remind them he's there, he's watching. And just the just the questioning of all the family members in this first 20 minutes. And it's not giving anything away, but it's hilarious how like the the last um, Jamie Lee Curtis, or not Jamie Lee Curtis, or maybe it was, does anybody have a motive? you know, to murder them. And she's like, I will not talk about any of our family's business with you guys. It cuts right away to Don Johnson. This family's <laughs> a beeping mess. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of comedy in this movie, but it's very smartly written. I mean, this movie is really well written with these characters. And so this movie to me is more of a character movie. I mean, there, there's not a lot of action or anything like that, but, it's just a really solid movie. I, I was going to say, I think this film, it's brilliant. I agree. Uh, I You can watch this, and it is a, a slightly longer film. It's an, a two hours, ten minutes. It does yeah. not feel like a two hour, ten minute slog. Yeah. It, it, it almost feels like a slightly comedic masterpiece theater. That's really what this is. Mm-hmm. It's an old Agatha Christie, Ten Little Indians, yeah. Murderer on the Orient Express, you know, it's almost got a bit of a giallo feel without the, you know, the blood and boobs. This is more of a whodunit and the quirky characters involved. I, I totally oh. agree with you with the writing. They play off each other so well. I love, love, love Tony Collette in this. Oh, yeah. I think Collette yeah. is having a blast. The other character that I really like is Don Johnson is just a hoot. He's great. He, he comes off one in one sense aloof. But at the same time, like, damn, I think we, he knows the gig is up. We're doomed. Because you can just tell. He's like, we ain't getting away with this, boys. <laughs> we ain't getting away with this. You know, I, I really liked seeing um, a cameo by M. Emmett Walsh. Yeah. I, I, it was nice seeing him. Because, I, you know, I thought he'd pretty much retired by now. But I oh, thought no, he pretty he much passed away, actually. <laughs> But, but here he is as kind of a stumbling security, head of security guy mm-hmm. who can barely get the VCR tape in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, the other thing as a, as a music file, I like the use of the song sundown in the bar scene. You can hear Gordon yes. put sundown going on in the background, but it, I thought it had a really good job of keeping the viewer hooked. 
like you're stump, you're going through the whole way. Did it play out this way? It had that clue sense of it could have gone another way, and and they really solved the case about three quarters way through, or so you think. So they yes. got you going, you know. Like it's, it, and it's that's, a, I was going to say it's a it's a blast yeah, that, seeing the characters play off each other, and that's the best part of it because every time you think you know how it's going to end, it flips a script on you. And that's what that's what I loved about how it was written. Because even all the way up to the bitter end, you're like, how is this person going to get out of this? And wow, things are flipped around. Things are switched, we'll say. And man, it's just it's just so well done. And, and then bringing in out of nowhere, Frank Oz shows up as a lawyer. Yes, he's a great, it's a great scene too, um, and I think Frank Oz was probably a get because he had just worked with Ryan Johnson on the Last Jedi. You know, he come back and he did his Yoda, his Yoda yep. stick, uh, and of course, Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson got a lot of flack about that movie, uh, and um, I think yep, yep. Ryan Johnson's a fun director, and he likes to play around with things. And I think what people who didn't enjoy the last Jedi. there's lots of reasons i'm not gonna you know go into that movie because that would just be doom but uh you know he he played a he played around with the conventions of the star wars movie uh he's done that his whole career he did it in brick he did it in the brothers bloom and and uh and here in knives out he gets to do it and it, it actually ends up being uh it's easier to embrace because he's having fun with this this subgenre of mystery, this drawing room mystery, the locked room mystery, everybody's here. Someone had to do it. And then you bring the detective in, uh, that, that was kind it's kind of a, a, a tired genre. You know, it's a, it's a genre that people aren't lining up to see most of the time. Even a few years before this, they had done the remake of murder on the Orient express, which I thought was an okay movie, but I mean, again, it didn't, didn't light any fires. It had a great cast, but it wasn't a movie that people were lining up to see. Here with Knives Out, he does exactly what you said, Brian, which is he makes this a character movie and a movie where we want to see what these characters are going to do next. And he does it so uh, precisely that's just what you said, Bill. Technically speaking, we have a a clear picture, uh, which is what's baffling. We have a pretty clear picture of what exactly happened, at least in one element of this. But it doesn't solve the character who we who we kind of – empathize with and sympathize with and the character who's who were who hasn't even really been mentioned yet you know that character that we're with we want to see how things are going to work out for that character you know we want to see what happens to everybody but we're sitting there asking how is this going to work out for you and it's no longer about we don't care about who did it we want to know how what's going to happen to all these people by the end of this story and yeah, Anna de Armas was she's fantastic. She's amazing you know, in the, the movie. girl you're yeah. talking about. And I was first introduced to her from the movie Knock Knock. Have you ever seen that one, the Eli Roth oh, movie? Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. And I mean, she when I hear the words "daddy, daddy," like that <laughs> creeps me out. Now, okay, after that scene in that movie with Knock Knock, but yeah. man, she is an amazing actress. I really liked her, and that was great casting on this movie. Fantastic. Yeah. She's and really I, good I, I, in uh, Blade Runner 2049. She's excellent in that movie. Yeah, she was in uh, No Time to Die. Yep. But what the other thing people should listen for is um, when we were going to watch this, Nathan messaged me and said, is this okay to show with my kids? Other than the first 30 seconds where you see a bit of blood on Christopher Plummer, it's it's barely PG-13. 
Uh, other yeah. than maybe some, other than maybe some slightly intense scenes involving someone laying on the floor in a warehouse. There's it's, a decent it, amount of like mid-level cursing in it. I mean, not that I care much about that. My kids are fun, you know. Yeah. My kids kept giggling when uh, when one of the characters was telling everybody to eat bleep over and over again. <laughs> eat bleep, eat bleep, eat bleep, eat bleep, you know. And then so they 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 had almost tears in their eyes laughing at that point. But uh, as well they should have. But the yeah, you're right. Now I will say, and that scene comes a little later. I always thought it was right at the at the top too. But it come in terms of the actual timing, it happens a bit later in the movie than I remembered. When it is finally when you finally do see. There's one scene of violence. When you finally do see it, it's a little intense, but it's nothing uh, excessive that if you've watched many movies, any movies involving that have a scene of murder or something in it, you know, um, it's pretty mild by those standards. So, yeah, I think PG-13 is just about right. Uh, But if you're someone who's really, like, doesn't want your kids to hear cursing, there's a decent amount of that. That's where I think that's where the PG-13 comes in. I was was just going to say, my daughter's just so used to hearing us swear yeah that, that's, <laughs> my kids are they don't repeat those words uh, no they don't amazingly um, but but anybody here i mean anybody who listens to this podcast is a cinephile the last 20 to 25 minutes are as good as any last half an hour you're going to get in a movie absolutely totally. wonderful entertaining it keeps you you know hanging on by a thread it keeps you guessing even when you figure it out you don't know how it's going to play out it is a yeah. ball of fun. I give this yeah. nine out of ten. I, yeah, I because, really like this one. Oh yeah, good. I'm glad you gave it a nine out of ten. I'm glad to hear that. And um what I was gonna say was you just mentioned the last twenty minutes you want to see how it unfolds. You kind of see how everything unfolded like thirty minutes into the movie. Yeah. So then you're kind of left saying, like, where's this gonna go? And it just it escalates into a great plot. Uh, a great, great writing. I keep saying that over and over. Yeah. And that's, and that's hard for me to say because I'm not a big Ryan Johnson fan, but I'm going to say he had a home run with this one. I'm giving it a, I'm going to say 10 out of 10. I mean, this is a masterpiece. Well, well, what's in his wheelhouse. It. It's, this is the kind of movie, the kind of plot where it's okay to play with the conventions and people aren't yes. going to get mad at you. It's okay exactly. to mix it up and throw something at the wall and see if it sticks. This genre was made for that very thing. And, what he does that's different is these movies are always drawn by the MacGuffin, the who did it, the what is it, how do we get it? Yeah. And at a certain point, we don't care about that anymore. We want to see what's going to happen to these people. And that's why I think this one works so well. A couple of the actors, just to, to go into them that we haven't really talked about, Michael Shannon is terrific in this movie. Oh, I mean, man. Michael Shannon's always oh. great, but oh, he's, he's awesome. He's fun here because he's a character that's kind of despicable. And yet I think he makes this guy a little bit more sympathetic than a lot of the other characters. Cause you, I, I don't know me anyway, I kind of like kept looking at him. Like he, he doesn't seem maybe as awful as everybody else, but it's hard to tell sometimes. And you feel a bit sympathetic because of yeah. the cane. The cane well, he does. He, 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 it's the cane, <laughs> but it's also the sense that he's the guy who's maybe most stuck. You know, when when you yeah. when you take an overhead view of everybody, you know, he's the one that's maybe been trapped the most. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield, he is great as the lieutenant in this movie. And I say he's great because he, half of his role is just to stand in the background and make weird faces at everything that Daniel Craig says. <laughs> or that he's some al- of the other he's almost He's almost the Ed McMahon. Like he's yes, setting yes. up Daniel Craig, you know, he was earlier that you. same year and sorry to bother you, which I love that he's great in that, but yeah, he's there and he was in short term 12 and Selma, but in here he's got this one specific job to do. He does it perfectly. <laughs> and, uh, also, you know, playing, um, 
playing Michael Shannon's son was uh, was Jaden. Um, oh, hold on, mm-hmm. Jaden Martell, who probably a lot of the horror fans might know from uh, was it uh, uh, Better Watch Out, the Christmas horror from a few years ago. And, um, you know what? Actually, um, I thought that same thing. Oh, is he not? No, he's not. He's from. Uh, he, he's from he looks, it. it. No. He looks exactly like the kid from Better Watch he Out. Does. When we he were, does. When we were watching it, I'm like, I was telling my wife, I'm like, that's a kid from Better Watch Out. I love this kid. And then I looked it up. I'm like, oh, wait, <laughs> no, not- no. That's a kid from It and The Lodge. I'm like, I, I they You're both right. look so yeah, much so Let me similar. get back on and do that. And, you know, I actually corrected myself already <laughs> once when we were watching. We did the same thing because he's from Midnight Special which with Michael Shannon, which is also really good. Um, but let me redo Shannon. that because you're right, bro. Uh, it, it's cool. It's kind of got a Spielberg vibe, but um, I'll go back and well, redo the other, it. I was going to say the other actress that actually wasn't bad was Catherine uh, Langford, one of yes. the one of the the sympathetic characters to De Armas. And I was I was going over where do I know her from? Oh, that movie last year, Spontaneous. Yes. Yep. Yep. She was in the high school one where the kids blew. She up. was in Thirteen Reasons Why. She was. Yep. She was Hannah Baker or whatever in that. She's a great actress. She's really good. Yep, she was really good, and and we haven't really <laughs> mentioned Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and Jamie Lee Curtis is the one character you have no sympathy for at all, and she plays it to a T. You know, she looks good in those black glasses. She really, she, uh, <laughs> she did. She looked cool. She but does. She very severe. <laughs> yeah, but, but when you finally see the inevitability of it, she's the one where you're like kick her to the curb like oh, yeah. you don't feel sympathy you know see i don't know all. though i i'm gonna i'm gonna say i that wasn't necessarily the case with her i i felt some sympathy with her in a different way too because i felt that she had been put in that all of these people you know that's the thing we don't get to see christopher Plummer in the movie very much by the way may i just say uh he's great in the few, in the little bit of screen time he has he's and he's oh, always he's fun awesome. he, he he was good all the way up to the end this i think this might be one of his very last movies i mean Plummer was so good that when all that stuff went down with Kevin uh, Spacey, they brought Plummer in and replaced an entire central actor in a film with Christopher Plummer. I mean, that's a, you could do that in a couple like, handful of months. That you know, you've like, got to. Like, I was just going to say the one actor like Daniel Craig will get the headlines and Chris Evans and what have you. Christopher Plummer knew more about acting in his one left pinky than. All of these guys did. No. Like just his his stage presence, his ability to deliver a line. Right. He's got that ability to delay a line, just delay the delivery, and you're hooked. But what works in this movie is his scenes are meant. You're 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 meant to like him. You know, you're meant to. Most of his scenes that we see actually are him interact with. He's he's got lots of interactions that we hear about. But we primarily see it from his interaction with Darmus, who is his caretaker, you know, is his nurse. And that was a positive relationship. But we, we yeah. who each of these characters are, we can track back a little bit to uh, Plummer as the father figure here. You know, he, he made some of these people who they are to some extent, and he's not without blame. And I think he knows that. But that's what's kind of interesting, because I, I think towards the end, you do see some sympathetic uh elements to jamie lee curtis and some of the others uh and some who seem initially sympathetic are less so 
Uh, and I think everybody is selfish at some point in the story. I also have to say yeah. that this movie ends on exactly the perfect last shot. Yeah, I'm trying Absolutely. to think. What was the final shot? Remind me, please. It's it. So after everything has fallen out, it's the juxta. Again, I don't want to spoil this for anybody who wants to see it. The juxtaposition of characters. You have all all characters are on one side, and there's another character. Uh, they're all looking oh. up at the house. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And somebody's sitting on the balcony, like, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> yes. was, awesome. that was awesome. That was awesome. There's a focus on a particular coffee mug. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes, sir. The other, the other aspect to this is Daniel Craig as the lead character. You get a bit of that kind of Louisiana Southern drawl. You know, you're getting hooked yep. in. You got, a, a, I found a combination of Hercule Poirot and Colombo. Yeah, Columbo's yeah. Columbo's one of those. Uh, before you leave, I just gotta, uh, you know, do you mind if I ask you about? Craig has a little bit of that in him too, you know. Just before you leave, I want to just kind of bring your attention to such and such. So he's got that sophistication, but at the same time, he's got a little bit of that. I'm thinking for every man. Well, the, yeah, you know, he's, and, he's got a good bit of that. He's a whole dialogue about donuts. Is it a donut hole or is another donut inside the donut hole? There's a scene at the end where one of the characters was like, we're going to lose our house. Our family built it. And he goes, oh, come on. Some Indian family made this in the 1980s. It's not your family. <laughs> he just starts laughing. I could watch. I said halfway through this because there's a certain point when it, there's a lot of banter between he and Diarmas more. You know, she becomes almost his right-hand man more than the detectives and the lieutenants that are with him, you know. Uh I could have watched a whole other movie with a completely different plot with he, he and her solving mysteries together. You know, I could, uh, I would definitely be interested in seeing this character again in a different story. So Nathan, what do you give this film? This is an eight for me as a solid movie. I like uh, everything about it. Um, and, but it's, you know, completely solid. I, I enjoyed it. And you know, I will have to say, I think once we watched this, we were kind of going back and forth trying to figure out, like, is it a Thanksgiving movie? None of us could really remember, I don't think. I think outside of the fact it was released at Thanksgiving. But I will say this. Yeah. I think that the the interplay between these family members, how they go at each other, and how that central dinner that's set up, how it, how it plays out, uh, anyone who's had tense or fraught uh, family dinners or Thanksgiving experiences – this is in some ways of the six movies we watched, it felt the most like a movie that you could sit down and watch on Thanksgiving and sort of, you know, it's a perfect kind of sit down with the family and watch it movie. It's that perfect, like after dinner viewing. Well, and, and the interplay among the characters is, uh, yeah. un, it's just like the squabbling people would have. And all of us have had at various family functions around Thanksgiving, but it puts a fun spin on it. We have a movie later that does, that, that puts a nightmare spin on it, but this puts the fun spin on it. My final stamp on this film is Ryan Johnson directed this. He's done a lot. There's a lot of complications to this, but it's done in a fun way. And then I went over his biography and I went over and I go, Okay, this gets it. And one of the films that we went over uh, on Land of the Creeps a while back on our time uh, travel episode, I was like, he's the darn guy that did Looper. Yes, yeah. And Looper drives yeah. me nuts. <laughs> that film does. So, this makes sense with the interweaving of yeah. four storylines, 18 characters, three a two hour and a half movie. That makes sense for Ryan Johnson. Yeah, like I said, it pains me to say it. He wrote, he wrote and directed a masterpiece because I'm not a fan of Ryan Johnson, but he really just nailed it on this one. 
And actually, before we get off the subject, uh, a Knives Out 2 is coming out, surprisingly. And it's going to follow Daniel Craig's character, I guess, into another. That's history. exactly the way it should be. That's exactly yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. So I'm looking I'm, forward to that. I, I was going to say, I'm wondering if he, if there's any carryover or it's a completely fresh slate. I have no idea. There was a little information on it, except for Daniel yeah. Craig would be playing the same character. So I don't know. But I'll be I watching I always it. want it to be fresh slate. I mean, I as much as I think yeah. it would be fun to bring Darmus back, I think a fresh slate would be perfect. You know, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I think good. I think he could. Uh, I, I'm not going to say milk it, but I think he could use this character in multiple settings in multiple movies, and he could be the next Hercule Poirot or Columbo or however you want to, you know, Spencer for hire, whoever it is, he could yeah. be that. Yeah. Okay, so back to I you, Bill. I'll go, up, I'll go up next. And what did I choose? One that I honestly, ladies and gentlemen, knew nothing about. I went over a list of Thanksgiving possible films. I wanted to go outside of my wheel box, uh, my safety zone of horror or sci-fi. And I looked up, I was discussing with Nathan a couple of different ideas. And Nathan goes, this, you got to check this one out, Bill. It's really good. I reviewed it back in the day as a reviewer. I remember getting a screener for it. And I was like, good enough for me. And the fact that it's only 83 minutes didn't hurt either. This is 2015's Krisha, or Krisha, however you wish to pronounce it. The synopsis on IMDb is, Krisha returns for Thanksgiving dinner after 10 years away from her family, but past demons threaten to ruin the festivities. This is classified as a drama, and I would say it's a hard drama with some dark comedy undertones. It's very uh, dark. (laughs) Very dark, yeah. Uh, Trey Edward Schultz directed it. And those who know their horror remember will remember he did It Comes at Night a couple years back. It stars a cast. A lot of them are unknown, and I'll get into that why. The main lead is Krista Fairchild. The only thing on her resume, she had 30-some-odd credits. The only thing I had heard of was she was on that TV show Channel Zero. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, Alex DeBranco hadn't done anything. Robin Fairchild. The only other one, there's a couple of them. Chris Dubeck was in one that we really liked last year. He was in Baccarat. Yeah. And, yep. he, and, and he was in Bloodfest. And Brian Casserly was in Thunder Road and the production manager in The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Nice. But, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's a great director, but we did like that film. Krisha is a tough one to put into a little box. Krisha is a film about a woman who shows up at a family get together for Thanksgiving after having been away for quite some time. Shows up at her sister's house. We really don't know much about her. And she tries to get on with family that she hasn't seen I don't think they say exactly 10 years on eight years on somewhere in that range. And she's getting to reacquaint herself with the family and they are a little reticent, but at the same time trying to figure this lost family member, not lost in terms of didn't know where she was, but she had been away for so long. And that kind of starts off. Now, Krisha seems off odd 
And as it starts, the audience is trying to figure her out. It's not a straightforward narrative. This is low budget, but it kind of shows where this director is going to kind of take his career. There's this really odd sounding musical score. I kind of equated it to African drums combined with video game sound effects. And this, it was a really odd choice, but it kind of seemed to work. Now, Krista Fairchild, who is the lead actress in this, is the director Schultz's aunt. And he cast, the cast has his mom, his grandmother, friends, along with some professional actors. Okay. And he himself plays Krisha's son in the play, or in the movie. Although it's a slip of the tongue play, but this almost is, you can see this being put onto as a Absolutely, stage. yeah. Because it's a character piece, interplay among characters. It's a slow burn, but it is far from boring. Okay. There's, it's got an odd, quirky art house feel. It's very stylish. It's very sensory. It's an oddball film, yet it sucked me in. It's dialogue driven. And it's basically her trying to reacquaint herself with the family, regain relationships. And as the film goes on, we get pieces of her background. We come to realize she's a recovering alcoholic. She also has some abuse issues with medication and drugs. She's also got some mental health issues. And the family is willing, you get the impression, it's not explicitly stated, but they get you the impression she's burned bridges before, and this is kind of her last straw. And the family wants to take her in, but they're keeping a healthy distance because they really don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of tumult amongst the family. There's a lot of family drama, as you would expect, you know, a group of 15 people for Thanksgiving at a house. There's a couple cousins that fight each other through half the film that just make me laugh every time I saw them. They're wrestling, they're arm wrestling, they're punching each other. And we're not talking 13 year olds. These guys are in their mid (laughs) twenties. That is so on the money though. (laughs) You know, they're the prototypical bros. Yeah, they I are. Mean, you, yeah, you, you, you kind of you kind of know those jerk cousins that are just way too physical and you know uber competitive. These are these guys, but they're a kick. They're a real hoot. This movie was actually shot at Schultz's parents' house in nine days, so they didn't even get a soundstage. They didn't even rent out a big house. He just used mom and dad's house to shoot this film. The one thing I found odd is at the beginning. After she's gotten to the house, she's taking her meds out. You know, she's got her comb and she's getting changed. She she has a bandage around her finger. And it comes to be seen, she's got a stub. One of her fingers is half cut off. We don't know why. It's just (laughs) almost kind of a running joke into it. Let's just say, I'm not going to give it all away because I want you to watch this film. It's a film of abuse. It's a film of uh, acceptance. It's a film of humanity, but it is also a film of, do you take her for who she is or what she can be? It's, 
not exactly funny, but it is. There's drama. There's a scene involving a turkey, which I'm just going to leave at that. It actually feels like a family drama. It's moving, and that ending is unmistakable, and you won't forget this. Krista Fairchild, I think, does a brilliant job. Is it slow at times? Absolutely. Is it a a straight-ahead narrative? Not at all. Is it one you're going to forget? Not in the anytime soon. I give this a seven to a seven and a half out of 10. And that's simply because the budget was low and it, I think it shows through, but the message to it, I think is very strong. I don't know what you guys thought. Why? Well, uh, while the budget is low, I think for this movie, which literally takes place over the course of a Thanksgiving dinner, really uh, doesn't need to be much more than it is. And certainly the actors are some of them are sort of rough around the edges because some of them aren't really actors, you know, although I will, uh, yes, yeah, Chris Fairchild, Krisha Fairchild is extraordinary in, in that title role. And, and because of how many times you are second guessing yourself about who she is and how she may not even completely know who she is. And, um, and it's one of those deals where you have these people who come into your life, uh, particularly family members who may come in and back out. And you think some of us always ha- have those family members. The person is always trying to reinvent themselves because every time they reinvent themselves, it sort of falls apart. And so the question becomes, how many times do you, uh, you accept someone back in who is re is getting back up on the horse? Uh, and you, because every time they fall off, it just shatters the family in some way. And I, and, and while that's not a thing we all like to think about, we always want to see the movie, where the recovering whatever you know succeeds and and is reaccepted into the family and makes amends and fixes the bridges and rebuilds those things we like to see those stories because they so i think in a lot of times in real life situations they so rarely happen that we kind of need that to hold on to so may i just say that this movie um even though it was low budget and even though there's a very naturalistic feel to the performances you could tell this was very real uh and and uh, close to home for these, the people that made this film. Now, from what I read, obviously, uh, the director has said that Krisha, uh, who is his aunt, you know, that she's not the character he was kind of basing this off of. That really, the character he's basing, the characters that the, that these characters are based off of have mostly were, are mostly dead by this point, you know, in real life, the ones that it was a com an amalgamation of different characters, uh, people, there's a different family members struggling with addiction and, and, and things like that. And you can read the whole backstory on that, but all of that aside, I had like a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach watching this both times. I've seen the movie. It's kind of an uncomfortable watch for me. There are definitely components of family dinners and, and not even family dinners, but dinners with, uh, with friends and others, people, anytime you're in close proximity to situations that have that powder keg feel to them, this movie captures that powder keg feel and then takes it a step further because of how damaging some of what's going on here is. I think it takes your average sort of, combustible family uh encounter and just magnifies it and but in a in a way that's kind of devastating this is kind of like uh you can feel it it kind of hurts to watch it at least you know for me and i think the more you can relate to it if anyone out there has anxiety over family get-togethers and the holidays maybe not maybe this one's not for you you know (laughs) people talk about people are triggered by gore uh jay of the dead calls this movie a horror film and i'm really hard pressed not to agree with him (laughs) because i think as a familial 
a film. It kind of is. I mean, if you if that anxiety that you feel when you're in this sort of these uncomfortable situations and watching people just fall further, and there's a helplessness to it. There's a helplessness to watching this. As much fun as it is to watch those family members dig into each other and knives out, it's the opposite for me. I mean, I I I agree with you, Bill. There are definitely darkly comic gallows gallows humor in this film, but it's a it's a it's a mirthless laugh. <laughs> For me, anyway, particularly around adult enhancement pills. Oh my gosh! Indeed, yes, exactly, right. <laughs> and but 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 it's just you know you, there's a lump kind of in your throat. For me, again, just kind of watching it. But I think it's extremely effective. That soundtrack. It is almost like a horror movie. It ups the anxiety levels. There's a lot of banging discord. It's capturing what you feel inside when some when a, fa- a certain family member that you're hoping will just not either a show up or b not speak. It's when they're about to open their mouth, and that soundtrack is what's playing in your head. <laughs> but I loved it. I gave this one an 8.5. It was one of the strongest movies to me, but it's also the one I'm least likely to go back and rewatch because it is just, it kind of drains me a little bit. What did you think of this one, Brian? Well, when I turned this on, I saw the A24 logo, and I thought, wow, this is only 81 minutes. Okay. And as I started watching it about 30 minutes in, I still was like, what the F is this about? But then <laughs> as the movie went on, I love this movie. I felt yeah. I was so glad you guys picked it because this would have been something I would have never turned on on my own, you know, as it's because the only uh, description was drama. So I, unless my wife had it on, I probably would have never watched it. I love this movie. I thought it was a fantastic movie. And I agree with Jay of the Dead and you, Nathan, and Bill, that that music was so weird. It, it almost felt out of place for a drama movie. It sounded like <laughs> something that should be in, like, it, it follows or something. Yes. <laughs> but it was so weird. But it was awesome. And uh, I really liked this movie. But something I wanted to bring up was, this was probably one of the gro- – okay, this movie – out of all the movies we're talking about has the most Thanksgiving in it because it's all centered in Thanksgiving dinner. And that Thanksgiving prep scene was probably one of the grossest prep scenes I've ever seen because (laughs) I don't know if you, I don't know if you noticed there was like a bug crawling around in like the bag with the Turkey was in. Yeah. Then she has, she has her finger wrap on and she's mixing (laughs) up food with her finger wrap. I'm like, please don't lose that. Don't lose that bandaid in there, please. And then, like, the sludge they're making in the blender, that pink stuff. Yes. And then it's just so gross. I don't want to eat that Thanksgiving dinner, guys. But uh, but but to her finger, I did read that the funny thing is I didn't explain why her finger was cut off. Apparently, before shooting the movie, it got bit off by a dog. Oh like, a gosh. couple weeks. A couple oh, really? weeks. Yeah. A couple weeks before shooting the movie, she was trying to break up a fight between two dogs, and a dog bit the tip of her finger off. So I guess they kind of, they had to have it in the movie, but no, they never explained it because it had nothing to do with the movie. But it adds that sense that like you've been through a lot. We get this. Um, Yep. Yep. And the the uh, grandmother, the grandmother actually had Alzheimer's at the time they were filming this. Uh, Oh, really? Oh, the director said she didn't remember a lot of what was going on in the movie, but she did enjoy Thanksgiving, quote unquote. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she played a person with Alzheimer's. I thought that was an act, but wow, if that's not an act, she... Yeah, well, the great but casting. Do, do you not also get the impression a lot of it was ad libbed? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that you works know, in like the film's just, favor. 
There's that yep. scene where they're where they're all welcoming themselves to grandma, and she comes yeah. up, and they're all just kind of like, "Hey, do you remember who I am?" And they're just <laughs> winging that. I guarantee they're winging that. Well, they're doing that, so she responds. They're coaxing. You know, that's that's how uh, yeah. having had family members with Alzheimer's and dementia, that's how it works. And they were probably doing that. That's why it's so authentic. Is they were probably actually doing that to coax the performance. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this yeah, is another. This is another one like Knives Out, where all the characters, and uh, it it really is rare that you know they all are kind of related, but they all acted really well in this movie. And uh, I just wanted to throw in another note that I noticed because I'm a big Star Wars nerd. When they're panning around the camera angle in the uh, son's bedroom, they actually have an authentic 1977 Death Star Commander figure on the shelf. I, don't know if I you saw that. that. Yeah. yeah. I did know yeah, that. Because like, I had that when I was a kid, and I'm like, boom, I had that one in 1977. I wish I but still had really, those. <laughs> yeah. That was really cool. They had that. But, man, I really enjoyed this movie. I'm so glad you guys picked it because, like I said, it's something I never would have watched, and I'm so glad I did watch it. And then, like you guys mentioned, the last 15 minutes, no spoilers here, but that Thanksgiving dinner goes crazy. Like her, her meltdown or breakdown is finally, after everything you're waiting for in the movie, you want some payoff, that was a payoff. Whether it's depressing or not, it, it really, it, it was a great ending to the movie. I don't think I've ever seen a movie where somebody breaks open a capsule and snorts it. Oh, yeah, she did do that. Yeah. <laughs> it, gets, it gets pretty rough. And uh, yeah. uh, the thing is, you can see the different sides. You can see it's and that's the helplessness I'm talking about. You can see where everybody's coming from, you know, and I think that's what's interesting about this movie is it would be easy to make this a dark comedy about the like destructive family member that rolls up and tears this place apart. But the movie is seen from that family member's perspective. And that's mm. not usual. That's not typical without making that person completely sympathetic, which I, you know, no spoilers, I think need to be said that that's not what happens. They, you see lots of different facets. You know, you see, I think, Bill, you put it a good way. You said you see who she could be. Then you also see who she is in this very moment, you know, and, uh, and you that, tell, that changes. Yeah. You could tell they are fed up with her. Yeah, and I I have a lot I have a lot of patience with people with substance abuse and different things, and I like to give them every chance in the world. And even her, I'd give them another chance until that breakdown. But but like the brother in law in the backyard, kind of like Bill was talking about with the uh, Viagra talk and everything, it seems like he's so on her side. He's complaining about the dogs and everything. Then he flips on a dime and just kind of rips into her and kind of sends her into a downward spiral. Like you're a piece of crap. I can't believe we give you all these chances. And I'm like, man. This family, I mean, I know, I don't know what the past was and what caused their hatred towards her, but nobody wanted her there. Everybody hates her, and she felt that, and that's kind of depressing. It's just kind of depressing. Whereas I feel like I wish the family would have embraced her more. But hey, that wouldn't have made for a fun movie, though, you know. So what I <laughs> yeah. found interesting was that conversation with the brother-in-law in the backyard. It's very obvious. It's one conversation yet they interspersed it three or four times within the film. Yeah. Yes, I did. That was, that was well done. So it wasn't like one 15-minute you know, dialogue. It was a bit here, a bit there. The other part of it that I found harsh, but it might have been given, when, the, when she wants to have a poignant conversation with her son, it's obvious stuff has gone on before because he wanted no part of it. No, he didn't. So there's obviously some baggage, some damage that's happened 
along yeah, the way because, he was just like screw it yeah because she's like she she brings him upstairs she's like well how are things going she really she seriously wants to know and he's like well you know and she's like no i don't know that's why i'm asking like everybody's shutting her out so it's kind of sad how she's being shut out she wants to get back into the family they're shutting her out and does that what is that what drives her and back to her addiction i don't know but man what a great movie yeah, and I, I like the ambiguity, like you mentioned. One thing that makes the film strong is there's that ambiguity because you do go back and forth, and that combustible ending that we have and what we see, you, I think you suddenly ask yourself, is this the way every Thanksgiving ends? You know, and then that would that would more clearly explain why people are maybe not ready to jump all back on board. You know, and uh, because it because it, it's in that moment when I think you. More than any moment for me, you have to stop and say, oh, maybe I can see where everyone's coming from. And I think she's the same thing. Like, you're again, a movie that ends on a fantastic final shot. I mean, I think it's like it knows exactly where to stop. I wouldn't have stopped it there. I didn't think I wanted to stop there when I was watching the movie. But I think it was exactly the right place to stop. Yeah, yep. fantastic. Movie. Oh, sorry, Brian. Did you give our rating on what you would give it? I, I didn't. I was just thinking of it. You know, it's hard to rate movies like this because I don't watch many dramas. But I, I'm going to say around an eight to eight and a half. I mean, I really, I really like this movie. Oh, I liked it a lot. So thank awesome. you for picking it. No problem. And and to anybody who's listening who hasn't seen it thinks, oh, it's drama. Oh, it's far from your ho hum drama. I totally agree with that. This is an yeah. off the wall drama. This isn't the run-of-the-mill drama or dramedy or things you might think of. It's not a heartwarming movie at all. <laughs> this this is, even for horror fans like me, I mean, th- there's a lot to like. There's yes, a lot to yeah. like because it's dark. It's a dark movie. Well, and it plays, but here's the thing is, lots of times when we hear drama, it's because uh, we're trying to identify, usually, you know, the genres, it's either the tropes, Dramas don't does they have the tropes so the thing is the emotions so some we hear dramas we think okay this is intended to kind of pull on our heartstrings and things like this the thing that, about this film and this is a, this director went on to do the horror film it comes at night which came out a year or two later a few years back now but Krisha is basically pushing the same emotional buttons that a horror film would push. Really, you know, it's not pulling the yep. heartstrings. It's pulling the tension, the anxiety, the uh, over-the-top. Like, there are elements of just intense anxiety. There's dread. There's building, mounting sense of dread. All those things you'd feel in the horror film. And that score under, under uh, no pun intended, underscores that element, you know, the, the musical choices. Uh, so, yeah, I think that horror film fans will feel right at home with this. I saw another movie just recently that I'll be reviewing on the podcast soon where someone had told me, Hey, this reminds me of a horror movie. And I thought never a million years of that be like a horror movie, but it's almost like Krisha's almost the, the, the first two thirds of a horror film that just might not have that finale with the blood and the gore, but it's no less combustible when it goes off. Yep. It's, it's almost like knives out is the comedic end of it. And Krisha is the dramatic end of it. Yeah, yeah, Just but the they're, family interplay squabble. I think you'll find a lot to like about it. I will say that, yeah, if it's it's very intense, it's the most intense of the six movies that we reviewed, in my opinion. I was going to say, and we've still got a couple to go that have some intensity to them. Yeah, that's true. Sure. So I will go to my next movie, which was a movie I had not seen prior to this. It was one of 
only two movies that I hadn't seen, uh, this one and, of course, uh, uh, Christy, that you had picked, Bill. I hadn't seen uh, either of these. And I was, I've was i been curious about this because, in a sense, I kind of did see some of this years ago. But this movie is Alien Abduction Incident in Lake County. And when I was going through the list, I saw this. I'm like, this is a Thanksgiving movie, really? And I saw the director, and I realized it's the same director who did the McPherson tapes. And actually, this is sort of the McPherson tapes uh, in a different form. So to discuss the McPherson tape, which is probably becoming coming into more prominence now because it's been put on shutter and kind of remastered and re-released. But that film, which was shot in like 1989, was, you know, really, uh, people can go back and forth about what's the first found footage horror movie and people make cases for Cannibal Holocaust and every other kind of thing. But really the kind of template of course, Blair, the Blair Witch Project from 1998 is the movie that really sort of uh, uh, makes found footage, right, a, a, a subgenre that has some financial appeal. But McPherson tape in 1989, it, you know, it deals with a family who's celebrating a birthday party. And in the midst of this, we are shown uh, what eventually is revealed to be like an alien abduction. And I found that movie which i had only seen maybe a few years ago uh pretty interesting as a kind of prototype for how uh for the different things you can do with found footage with the idea of and then in 89 of course dealing with the idea of the kind of camera you're carrying around in the home video uh there were a lot of things that you're kind of jumping through hoops to to get but you're basically trying to tell the story about a group of people who've come together and suddenly this incident just sort of slams into them and my daughter recently, we were watching one of, uh, one of the paranormal activity movies. She goes, I like found footage. It's just like watching people do uh, real things and then, bam, <laughs> something horrible happens. I'm like, yeah, that's that's about right. And that worked for the McPherson tape. But then 10 years later, this same director, uh, Dean Alito, gets a chance to remake this as Alien Abduction Incident in Lake County that actually ends up airing on UPN in like 1998. And I remember seeing a chunk of this, but when the, the, the version I saw on UPN was heavily edited together, this is a whole feature length movie, but they had edited it into about 30 minutes and done it. One of those like Fox specials, you know, with, Oh, uh, this family was invaded by aliens. So there's lots of talking heads interrupting everything and narrating what goes on. Half of the characters are cut out of that story. Uh, so for all intents and purposes though, this is just a remake. 10 years later of McPherson tapes, the difference that allows me to put this on the list is it transposes the birthday party uh, and it sets this film at Thanksgiving. And so you have this dinner that's about to happen and you have this family who's gathered together and you've got one of them who's kind of aspiring film school student. He's used some of the uh, money from his inheritance to buy this uh, at this point in 98, probably pretty expensive uh, video camera and he's taping the, you know, he's kind of practicing. He's taping the family festivities. And then, you know, the power goes out. And when a couple of these, a uh, couple of his brothers go out to check what's going on outside, Tommy, who's the main character, he goes out with them. And we start to get a feeling that things are going wrong. And by things, I mean, there are aliens and a potential UFO out there in the woods the movie jumps through a lot of hoops, just like the 89 film to kind of 
show us things but not show us things so the drama has to be particularly it's very very low budget the drama is contained inside of this house it feels very much like a stage play the acting is not great if i'm to be honest uh the cast is trying to sort of play this very uh realistic but it is a little bit over dramatized there's a few moments where some of the actors have that community theater deer in a headlights kind of look where they're 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 being just a little bit more um uh, affected than they might be in reality but by and large i think they do a pretty decent job and i think this movie actually is effective at giving you a sense of these people trapped inside a house with these alien invaders outside and to the point where i'm surprised how much the movie jumps right into the sci-fi aspect i mean someone comes in and is talking about that you know you very quickly they're saying hey a cow just got blasted with a laser gun <laughs> you know and one of the characters that comes back in the house has their hand burned by one of the aliens shooting with a laser gun this is i mean this escalates quickly this isn't waiting for the witch to show up you know there are aliens involved in the storyline pretty quickly and then the movie still has to deal with the fact how are we going to build this tension and keep it running without kind of showing these aliens or, or, or lots of special effects and i think by and large this movie does an excellent job of that early found footage again this comes out about a year before Blair Witch actually gets released. Blair Witch has been made, making rounds at the film festivals. Last Broadcast is another film that was made around the same time. But I'm pretty sure this one sort of beats them to the punch. It is a remake of the earlier movie. I might like that earlier one a little bit more. But this is interesting because I think you do see the, the, the template for what found footage eventually becomes. And I think it's kind of creepy. There are moments where they do allow the movie just to kind of sit in the dark. The camera's at a weird angle. We hear people talking, but we can't see anything. It'll peer around a corner, but now found footage has become so kind of slick. You know, we know the beats that are coming to the next scare. This movie doesn't have that. It feels very rough. It does feel like there's times when there's characters just kind of, you know, bumping around in the dark, trying to find their way, not sure what might be in that far back room. And to me, that's almost a little more intense and a little more creepy than knowing that the jump scare is coming. I totally agree. So what did you think of it, Brian? Well, I feel like a broken record here. Aside from Adam's family values, I love this movie. <laughs> There's another one I love. Like, I feel, feel like we have a string of really good movies here we're talking about. And again, like Christy, I, I feel like an unworthy uh, horror fan here. I, I hadn't heard of this movie. I did not know about this. So I'm so glad you guys picked it because I really like this one. And I have a lot to say about it because... You mentioned the acting wasn't great. I thought compared to, you know, I'm, I watch all the found footage movies, but what I don't like about them is I feel like the act, when you, when you get a found footage movie, it feels like the actors all of a sudden don't know how to act because then they try to act like real life for some reason. Yeah, yeah. And in this movie, I didn't think that was bad at all. I thought the acting was fine. And I agree with you that, man, right off the bat, the story starts out with the bang. I mean, there's not a lot of character development that goes on through the story. Like right away, they're like, wow, the electric's out. Right away, they're like, let's go investigate. And then the action just starts up, boom, right there. And another thing I really like about this compared to other found footage movies is, and maybe it's a product of its time, not being a later found footage, there's not a lot of shaky cam. Because shaky cam drives me crazy in found footage where you can't even see what's going on. This kid knew how to operate his camera. He knew how to operate it because... It was a lot of steady cam. I could see what was going on pretty much all the time. Even though it was dark in the house, it was lit up enough to where I could see the characters, what they were doing. 
what was going on. And then another thing we didn't talk about was every time there was a tense moment, they would cut away to like a documentary type thing where like a doctor or somebody would say, and it was good because it was only like 20 seconds. It didn't really take you out of the film. Yeah. But then yeah. you go back, you go back into it and then see how the scene develops at that tense moment. So I really like this movie. I think there's a lot to like on this movie. I really loved it. And now that you're mentioning, I didn't even know there was a birthday party one 10 years. Now I want to go back and see that one. Cause you said maybe it's a little better. I'm going to go back and watch that. If you I have a real sh- kick out of this movie. Yeah. If you have shutter, Brian, it's on shutter right now. The McPherson tape is the name of the movie. Yeah. I, I definitely have shutter and I'm going to be watching that one. So now yeah, on my notes inter- here, I have great suspense, not a lot of shaky cam, uh, not a lot of darkness, but then, um, yeah, I'll let you guys talk a little bit because I do have a couple of questions about what the characters do later on in the movie. So go ahead and carry on and then I'll ask you that. This is going to be interesting because I missed the memo. So anybody listening right now, these guys don't know, we're going to get a bonus fifth movie review because I watched the original. Oh boy. Oh wait, what? <laughs> I, I, I watched the 1989 McPherson tape. It's the one I found. I <laughs> that's the one i watched <laughs> yeah this this one was on youtube i can only find this yeah. on youtube this is the link i sent because i originally had said mcpherson tape bill and then i recognized that and then i sent oh. the other link but maybe you'd already <laughs> watched the movie yeah i'd already watched it i was like okay because it was the first of the movies that i'd watched so i was like but it, again as you went over what the synopsis of the 89 or sorry the 98 film is it's very much, you know, it's almost like a, a cover band doing the Rolling Stones. It's the same movie, Brian, you'll notice, being more of an aficionado of the uh, first-person perspective, found footage type. I found the 1989 film a lot shakier. It oh, is. Okay. Yeah, it is. Well, and a different camera, too, at that point. It's 10 years yeah. earlier. Yeah. It's 10 years earlier. So it's kind of, it's almost like the Clark Griswold traipsing around Europe. Style of <laughs> yeah. video, videotaping. But again, it's over Thanksgiving dinner. And the one joke that Nathan had said to me, watch the grandma's drink. No matter where grandma is, she's got her glass of red wine. Yes, she does. <laughs> and it and it's the same in the 80s, 89 version. Not quite as prominent, but once I kind of well, clued into it. Let me ask it, you yeah. a question, Bill, because you said, did yep. they have Thanksgiving dinner in the version you watched? Uh, they had started eating it. And uh, things were starting to go down. So if you saw Thanksgiving the- dinner, you actually did see the yeah. 90 because yeah, the because old one you- is a birthday party. Yeah. yeah. Oh, was it a birthday? Okay. Yeah. There was there was a dinner scene. The uh, the one in 98 still looks kind of old. You could, I mean, it's it's feasible. You could have watched the 98 one and thought you were watching the, you know, 89 it, it, one. It could be. I could have. I could have. Uh, well, did the electric go out? Because right in the beginning, yes. the, the electric yeah. goes out and they yeah. go out to the fuse box yep. and it's yep. smoking. Yep. Okay, maybe I did watch. Does it end with? Yes. Then that you watch the same version that we all watched. Okay, all right. Because that's actually an alternate ending that was never on the original airing or the '89 version. So yeah. Oh, okay. Then it turns out I did watch the proper video (laughs) (laughs) without realizing it. So I was going back to IMDb and I looked up McPherson tape, but I did watch the proper one because the ending is the same. So yes, yeah. I did see it. The one thing I did make note of, there was a lot of yelling. Yes. I found there was way <laughs> too much yelling. Well, the older brother, the older brother was very controlling of the family. Yeah, Let's yeah. put it that way. <laughs> okay. There was a cool rifle slash flashlight contraption. 
that they were using. I just wanted to say that when we were talking about the acting and, and Brian was talking about the acting, those were really the only parts that I thought were where it felt kind of forced or, or hokey, where it got not great, was the extreme emotions, like the yelling. Like that's where I felt like, eh, this feels a little contrived. That's where I felt like it had the community theater vibe when it when most of their responses yeah. and most of their interactions i think were good it's just that some of that felt a little ramped up that's where it felt like maybe as far as the direction was going that maybe they could have been directed to tone it down a little bit and it seemed like they got louder instead of more scared <laughs> yeah and that's and that's so typical of found footage movies like i mentioned before yeah. i mean i'm not saying the acting is anything like Oscar worthy. I'm just saying compared to some, Oh no, some yeah, found for sure. footage movies where like some found footage movies, I'm like, Oh my God, this is just cringe worthy. I thought these actors pulled it off for what it ne- needed to be. They pulled it off. There is an organic like interaction. You feel like they are family members though. Sometimes yeah, in a found footage sure. film, you do feel like they're just reading a cue card. I think that's one of the reasons the Blair witch project actually works is for the most part, you just got these kids acting like college kids out in the woods. They feel organic. It's why the paranormal activity movies, the extent that they work, they work because uh, we kind of believe in those people. And they, that mostly yeah. happens here. Yeah. yeah I mean, and- when, when they take off to go out into the forest and find f- you, you get the impression that's what Joe Blow would do. Oh yeah, like, like yeah. you feel you feel like you could be one of those people in the family, and you're just you're you're probably scared witless, but at the same time you got to do something, and that's what they do. The Thanksgiving kind of theme does work because it's that uh, basically like we've talked about these disruptors. Well, what if the disruptor is you know you're sitting around having dinner and then. You know, something like this happens and it kind of called back to me, Bill. I don't know if you got that feeling last year. We didn't do Thanksgiving episode. We did a Christmas episode looking at weird Christmas movies. And we had we we uh, reviewed a movie called Await Further Instructions. Uh, You know, that movie, that movie feels so familiar. If I remember right, that was a really bad movie. Am I remembering right? uh, I liked it. is that the one with the TV? Yes. Yeah, it begins talking to them, like it, to giving yeah. them instructions. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I I like almost any horror movie out there, but for some reason I didn't connect with that one. But it's been a while since so I've seen it. So yeah, but it was also a little bit more of a bait and switch because I don't know that that movie was really. It went more sci-fi fantasy than horror. You know, ultimately it kind of builds yeah. like it's going to be a horror film, and it kind of isn't. But uh, the tone is what you know. The tones aren't exactly the same, but. I what I connected was this idea of here's the family in the middle of their disputes and then it is interrupted. Like my daughter's saying, "Oh, I like it because it's about interruptions. It's about you know you're just living your normal life and then something fantastical happens and the found footage captures that in a way where you're supposed to be watching real people deal with that fallout in a way you might deal with it. And I think as a proto kind of found footage movie, this movie does that pretty well. I will say the ending right. to this one, you're not going to forget. Kind of freaky. I, I'm not going to say what happens. I want you to watch it, but it's it's just eerie and freaky how it just kind of finally plays out. <coughs> Are they playing sorry over. at the end of this? <laughs> I don't know what the game was. They were playing a game at a either. table. Yeah, yeah. If, if yeah. it was so weird because they were playing it normally, like it's like about how a family game of that would go, and then suddenly that happens, and you're like, what? And then when it when it finally happened, I almost expected to come out from behind the table, Robert Stack. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And uh, now, we, if you have any questions yep. or comments, please call the Unsolved Mysteries hotline. Mm. You know, <laughs> oh, there is only one Robert Stack. He's so great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I gave I gave this a six out of ten. I thought it was watchable, but it's it's not necessarily my bag. I'm a more six point five. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay, here's the fanboy in me. I'm going at least an eight on this. Nice. <laughs> wow. because, yes. Good yeah. You. Good for you. And you know what, Brian? You're not alone. I bet this is a cult. Between the first one and the second one, there's a whole cult audience for this. Yeah, there was something, I, I don't know. There was just something really creepy and actually scary about it. Like, yeah, I, I do agree. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love movies that make me tense and even scared for the characters. And this one did that for me. And even though it's not a perfect movie, there is flaws, of course. If it's something that could, that could scare me if I was in that position, I'm going to like the movie. And that's what this I, one did for me. I liked it. I, I like the story skeleton of it i just found there was too much yelling down dark hallways but what works about those dark hallways moments compared to like say like the reason my kids like those paranormal activity movies it's it's almost like horror where's waldo right like you know you have to look for something you know you're waiting to see something in the background foreground that kind of doesn't exist in this movie because a you know they probably don't have the budget to show you something truly creepy so what ends up being creepy is the idea that they're eventually just going to stumble into something like that camera is going to come back up and then one of them is going to be dead or worse and i don't know that built more anxiety in me than just waiting to see the the ghost jump out of the box you know but i i I just kept waiting for that rifle slash flashlight combination stuck together with duct tape to fall apart (laughs) (laughs) or to or to shoot somebody by accident yeah you speak of the budget on it, and there is something to be said for like I don't know how much this movie cost to make, but it couldn't be much at all. But like the spaceship, <clears throat> in the very no spoiler, I mean this is in the first yeah. fifteen minutes, but the spaceship looked like a very dumbed down version of like ET spaceship, you know, <laughs> just like a dome thing with some flashlights on it between ET spaceship and a pie plate somewhere yeah. in between there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. But overall, I, I really like this movie. That's great. So, Brian, what do you bring us to close out our feature reviews? Well, again, I did not go horror. I, you know, you guys know I threw around Blood Rage about 5,000 times. And, <laughs> and I think and for anybody, th- anybody listening, Brian kept saying, if we have nothing, we can do Blood Rage. Yeah, if we have nothing, but, we can do Blood Rage. But <laughs> I see so many podcasts doing it, so I thought, okay. Let's do something different. Another very intense movie, Prisoners, which the opening scene, Prisoners, takes place on Thanksgiving. They're having a Thanksgiving meal. And Hugh Jackman stars in this movie. And him and their neighbors are having a Thanksgiving dinner. And the two young daughters decide, let's go outside. Let's run back to the old house to get my whistle or whatever they're going back to look for. And they get kidnapped. And then the tension ramps up. Hugh Jackman and the father of the other daughter and the son, they go crazy running around the neighborhood looking like, as parents, we're all parents. That I don't know if any of you guys have had that moment where I know it happened to me one time. I was at a party and my young son, I couldn't find him anywhere. And like my heart drops. Yeah. And he was, he was behind yeah. a chair playing on his like iPad. And I didn't know he was there. But for that moment, it's just heartbreaking. So this movie really captures that very well. This is such an emotional, tense movie. But as the movie goes on, 
there's a lot of red herrings. Who could have kidnapped the kids? They throw a lot of suspects into the mix, and then a lot of dark things happen. The father takes some liberties into his own hands, let's say, and maybe breaks the law trying to solve the case. And then we have Jake Gyllenhaal, the detective, that is telling him to calm down. Let me do my job here, you know. And But the, this is such a great movie. And I, I had seen this when it came out. I don't even know what year it was, 14, 2014 or 16, somewhere in there. And my wife's like, we've seen this. And I must have fell asleep or something because I didn't remember this at all. And as I'm watching it, this movie, I'll just say this now. My third favorite non-horror movie of all time is Gone Girl by David Fincher. And this movie really captured that same type of tension and mystery and anxiety. Type of movie that gives you anxiety when you watch it. And I highly recommend this to anybody. As far as Thanksgiving goes, the only Thanksgiving thing is the opening scene they're eating Thanksgiving dinner. But from there, it goes into a spiral of suspense, tension, brutality. Not even brutality against the kidnappers. There's other storylines going on here where there's some brutal stuff going on. What do you guys think of this movie? What do you think, Nathan? I really like this movie. I saw it back in 2013. This was the first year I had started kind of... Uh, no, no, it's, it wasn't the first year, but it was the, the first year as a critic where they actually started sending me screeners kind of at the end of the year, you know, where you vote on the movies for the awards and everything. And I didn't see this one was in theaters, but I saw it on the screener. And I remember sitting and watching it with my wife. At that point, my son was like one year old and not the age of the kids in this movie, but exactly, uh, Brian, I've had that moment you're talking about. One yeah. time there was a miscommunication about, um, my wife taking the kids somewhere and I thought the kids were with me and they were nowhere in the house. And you hit that moment where your, your heart sinks, but there's still that moment. There's still a feeling of hope of there's a rational explanation in 10 minutes. I'll figure out what's going on here and all yes. will be well and all was well, but not in this movie at that moment, you know, and then where this is going and what he's going through. I think this is one of Hugh Jackman possibly his best performance i think uh i think it's his, i agree and i love a lot of what jackman has done and a lot of his movies i mean i i i think he was good as wolverine he's particularly good in in, in logan the the with the mm-hmm. later wolverine film he's great in the fountain one of my favorite darren aronofsky movies but here he captures a nuance to this guy uh this father that helps you get through because the first time i saw this movie i thought hey there's a lot of contrivances here there's a lot of things that have to happen in order for him to find himself where he does in that situation where it's him and terrence howard and paul dano and in that circumstance and it's like you a lot of hoops have to get jumped through for this guy to do what he does and i do think that at a script level they feel like there's some contrivances there. And as the movie goes on, it kind of runs through a couple twists and turns. But Denny Villeneuve, I think, is a fantastic director. So far, there's not a movie of his I haven't liked. And he's, his most recent film, of course, is Dune, the first part of Dune anyway. And uh, mm-hmm. he's done Blade Runner 2049, did Arrival. He did Enemy. He's done a lot of great films. Sicario. He's done a lot of great films. And here oh, man. He- Sicario is so good. Yeah, I think he's just so far he's nailed it. He hasn't made a movie yet I've disliked, and he's now made about you know seven or eight of them. And he's got this sensibility to how he puts these characters into these stories. Even when you got something as big as Dune, there's a lot going on in this movie. I will just say there's a there's a group of uh, antagonists in this movie that towards the end, when we realize what it is they're actually doing. 
their mindset behind what they're doing. You could have made an entire film on that alone. I was so intrigued and freaked out by that that I thought, wow, there's a lot of potential just there. You know, the, the what is explained to Jackman's character towards the end of the film. I thought, wow, that's almost its own movie. I'm intrigued by what's happening there. I'm intrigued by what's happening here in the middle. There's this question of how far can you be pushed as essentially a normal guy, you know, a, a person that cares about their family who has defined themselves by how they care for their family. Yeah. And I think we can all relate to that. And what would you do? You've got yeah. this guy what? that you think has the answer and your kid is probably still out there and you can still do something. And he's right in front of you. And I just think this movie is about as probably as strong as it could be. And again, it's a movie where for the critic part of me looked at it and said, Oh, well, there's this that doesn't seem right and that's not right. But the performances and the direction of the movie kind of just take you right past all that. This, this is what I love about the movie. Exactly what you said. What would you do for your kids? And I would do anything. So I don't blame him. I mean, right or wrong, I don't blame his actions and his thinking because time's ticking away. Every day that goes by, his kid's out there. Maybe without water, maybe without food, maybe who knows what's going on. Well, and implications a lot worse than that, you know. And, and we learn yeah. he has reason to, be, to he has perfectly good reason to think that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really like this film. I I'm very much like Brian. I started off okay. I'll, I'll watch this first, <laughs> and, and and then Jen walks into the room and says, "We've watched this film." And so, again, I don't know if I was tired. It was a long one. This was literally 4,000 movies ago when I watched this. So I kind of lost it. But then as it started going, and there are certain scenes involving, I'll just say, confinement, that I was like, okay, I remember some of it, and then I remembered the end. But I kind of missed, you know, an hour and a half on either side of those. I really think that Paul Dano, who I remember from Little Miss Sunshine, I think he is really strong portraying the character that he does. You totally believe, you totally get sucked in. And I don't know if you're empathizing with him or you're demonizing him, but he gives you some sort of human emotion based on his character. Mm -hmm. I I also had this past summer, that moment where my daughter Ella just turned six in August and she was playing. We have a field beside our house and there are some bushes beside a commercial parking lot. And I was talking to my neighbor, you know, she's like, daddy, daddy, come chase me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me talk to my neighbor. And then I went out to the field and then you don't see her. And then your stomach and then your heart falls in your stomach. (gasps) And I literally had gone back in the house to my wife and said, where is, where is Ella? And she comes out of a bush. Here I am, daddy. Oh, crap. I can completely understand what Hugh Jackman's going through. Would you go to the lengths that he does? Where We are all purposely kind of dancing around what he does because we want you to watch. But you're going to empathize at a minimum of what he's going through. Even if you're not a mom or a dad, you're still going to empathize. I like Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard has been in so much that's so good that it was nice to see him in this. There is a Canadian connection. I can always find a Canadian connection. <laughs> uh, Denis Villeneuve is from Trois-Rivières, Quebec. There you go. <laughs> and, and when the movie first opens, I go, I know why. The song was 
Put your hand in the hand of the man yeah. who still the water. Originally written by Anne Murray, performed by Ocean. Canadian Maybe. gospel song. So I but I already knew, like, but the fact that it's a gospel song, yeah, open it with kind of overshadows the thought process of one of the characters. I will say there are some very brutal scenes for a drama slash thriller. There is some brutality here that almost approaches a Scarface brutality, but I'll leave it at that. Agreed. I, like the hot water scene. Oh my God. I, I'm, I'm not even going to go into it. I want you to discover it. There's yeah. a scene with a fat lip. God, you're yeah. like, holy shamoli, you know, it's dark. It's bleak. I, there are two funny notes. I said, Jackman sure knows how to drive out of a parking lot. No <laughs> oh yeah. He, he jumps that curve and peels right out of that parking lot. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. He can jump out of the parking lot and divert between two cars coming in opposite directions, get right between them yep, yep. out there. And Gyllenhaal sure yeah. can take a bullet and drive. Holy oh. cow. You know? He's really yeah, good here was, too. You know, Gyllenhaal. Awesome, man. Like I literally, I didn't know. I'm, I'm not going to give away. I'm going to step around a bit, but I didn't know if the blood was coming from a potential lethal blow to the head or if he had just been grazed. I didn't know because it happened so fast and the blood yeah. is just oozing down. Yeah. And you can kind of get that sense that he's almost on drugs. He can barely see clearly he's zipping around. And I was like, there's no way you're going to make it to the end, but he does. Man, Jake so, Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal is great in this movie. He really it's is. fantastic. This might be my favorite Gyllenhaal role. And he's done a lot of good stuff. We've kind of watched like him grow they, up a bit, you know. Um, in, yeah. in, in, on screen, I thought about that the other day. Uh, you know, October Sky, which is a great movie. Um, uh, it was the first movie I think I saw him. And, of course, Donnie Dark, Bubble Boy, maybe not so much. But, you know, Donnie Darko. I love Donnie yeah, Darko. Yeah. And, yeah, th- my only criticism to the film is it was an hour and what was it? Uh, I'm just looking no, it was at like two thirty. Two thirty-three. I yeah. think they could have shaved fifteen to twenty minutes off. In the in the middle end, in the middle well, section of it. Well, they not, kept not- throwing. They kept throwing in. I agree with you there to a point, but they kept throwing in like red herrings. But in the end, it kind of all came together. All these characters that. You know, he was zoning on different suspects. Yeah, it all kind of, it all kind of messed well in the end. I never it, felt. Gotta, go ahead. I never felt the movie lag, though. Personally speaking, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. That you could probably tighten this bet or that bet up, but I think they kept the suspense pretty strong, mostly because the suspense is coming from so many different angles. You know, because there's a suspense of yes. will they find the kids? There's a suspense of who's involved in this, how many people are involved in, it, and the suspense of what will Jackman actually go to the lengths to do. And part of that's also down to the Paul Dano performance, as Dano's playing a guy who's strongly a likely suspect, but we, you can pick up pretty quickly that this guy might be more than a suspect. He may be a victim himself. And I think that's one of the elements of it that keeps me going through the middle sections is the idea that. And oh, that's why it's yeah. called prisoners. I yes. mean, that's why it's called prisoners. There, you have empathy for several different characters in this. Right, and I it mean, keeps I, you invested beyond yes. a moment where you think you know you're not. Again, it's another movie where we're not just going after one solution. We're invested in these people. I, I picked up on that Dano 
being a victim well before the reveal, but I was, I just, I couldn't remember how they revealed it. Yeah. Well, I think, <laughs> so he, I, I think he, he builds that into his performance. You get that almost the minute you see him. Yeah. And what, yeah. and once certain, uh, backstory becomes revealed, you're like, Oh, this is blatantly obvious, but it takes you a while to yes. get there. And that's where that two and a half hours, you know, they could have taken a bit off here, a bit off there. And I don't think it would have hurt the overall uh, strength of the film. But that's that's a minor critique for me. So I give this an 8 out of 10. I I, I was bang on with uh, IMDb. Usually I'm below it. I think they're bang on on this one. Yeah. Uh, tonight I've only given one 10 to Knives Out. And this one is probably a 9 out of 10 for me. I, I really, really like this movie. Like I said, it reminds me of the tension in Gone Girl and movie crime. I love crime thrillers so much. Yeah. And this is the epitome of a crime thriller. This movie is fantastic. Nine out of 10. I was going to say, Nathan, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but I half expected at the end of it to get the recipe from the husband's solution. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was my husband's recipe. Okay. Good uh, to yeah. know. Uh, 8.5 right in the middle of the two of you. 8.5 for me. I agree. It's a super strong. Uh, it's a very strong movie. It's very effective in what it does. And again, um, so far, I knew, I think uh, Danny Villeneuve's proven he can do a lot of different kinds of films, uh, particularly in these sort of genre things. This isn't genre in sense. It's a horror film entirely or uh, you know, it's cer- certainly not sci-fi fancy, but it is a very good suspense thriller, and it's one that feels like it's rooted in believable characters. Mm-hmm. And it, like, like very, uh, like a few of the films we've done today, it does skirt that horror, yeah, just in the terms of the storyline, the situations, the characters. Like, there's three or four of them that quote unquote are not horrors, but in seen in the right light. There are horrors. There's no doubt about it. I also, I was just looking up Villeneuve. You know, he's he's in, into the pre-production of Dune Part 2. He's also announced that he's going to be directing a film version of Cleopatra. Which uh, I find really interesting where he could take Cleopatra. Yeah, and he's proven he can kind of make these stories on on grand scales or more intimate, which yeah. is kind of what you get here. Um, last thing I want to mention that Roger Deakins' cinematography in this movie, man, he really captures mm-hmm. that that sense of like the bleakness of winter and like just the like the kind of di- like there's the there's the beautiful snowy winters, but then there's that dank, damp post October into November and December, like that kind of like wet yes. grim winter and that's what this is and this is a movie i, lo- <laughs> I love it because it's 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 not only raining it's pouring yes. in almost every episode, in that almost every scene so that that's that great exactly yeah, like you said I, i'm curious brian and uh nathan i was looking back into villeneuve's filmography and i haven't seen it but i'm curious if either of you have seen maelstrom uh, that uh, one doesn't strike me as one I'm aware of. I think Incendies was the first movie of his I saw, actually. Uh, so this, I, this one says, this one says, after plunging her car into a river, a woman encounters a man who helps her to come to terms with her life. And it's just a drama. And I mean, that's pretty vague, but it now. But it also directly, says, employing fancy and comedic elements, it is narrated by a talking fish. So... 
there's that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and Lang, and it's and it's a French subtitle movie, so this must have been very early in his career then. Yeah, oh, it was. It was. He did some shorts after this, so this must have mm. been maybe even a, a Canadian government-funded yeah. Quebecois kind of film. Yet it's it got a rated R for sexuality, nudity, language, and an abortion scene. So... Yeah, it's surprising. I, uh, Prisoners is like fifth on his list of movies, which surprises me because they have Blade Runner, Dune, Cesario, and we didn't mention Arrival, which was a pretty good movie a couple years ago. Yeah. So yeah, he's made some. He's made An some enemy good stuff. with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, two Jake Gyllenhaals actually, which is a good movie if you haven't seen it. It does does flirt with the horror elements a little bit more than because the doppelganger concept a little more than say Prisoners. Yeah, I know of Enemy, but I have not seen it. But now I'm intrigued. I'm going to watch Enemy. I'm intrigued to see it. And um, just FYI for anybody out there, the two movies I picked, uh, Knives Out is on Prime right now, and Prisoners is on Hulu right now, if you guys want to watch it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good um, a good movie. Again, I liked all the movies that we that we, we chose here. I think they're – Me too. And even though some of them don't have the Thanksgiving theme embedded in them, they're actually all really good, perfectly good for that – it may vary on your audience, but if you've got a group of people that like found footage movies, alien abduction, I'll put the link in the show notes. It's all that the entire film is on in a, in a relatively decent copy. I mean, compared to for a oh, yeah. found footage TV movie from 1998, you know, uh, I'll put the link there. Mm-hmm. I'll put the links to all of these. And many of them, as we've pointed out are on streaming. I, I don't think I had to go, uh, outside of streaming to find a single one. Although, you know, I think Adam's family values was Netflix and uh, yeah, a couple other places, but um, but now wrap. Uh, so yeah, awesome, great choices, guys. I was glad to get a chance to go back and rewatch some of these, particularly Prisoners and Knives Out. I did not watch Prisoners with my kids. I watched Knives Out with my kids. They had a great time, and it was fun to see a couple that I hadn't seen. And uh, Christy was the kind of surprise for me because I wasn't aware of it at all, and it was nice to revisit Cresha. So um, that was a lot of fun. Before we wrap up for the night, though, I just want to give us a chance to talk about any movies that we might just throw a mention out there. I think these six are obvious recommendations, but uh, others that you might want to mention that people should check out, uh, you know, if they're looking for a Thanksgiving sort of themed movie. Well, I already mentioned uh, Blood Rage, of course. Blood Rage, Blood Rage. Now, can you give us a a three-minute synopsis? Yes, I will. (laughs) Um, I actually will. Um, th- th- what I like about this movie is just the first five minutes is so freaking eighties because <laughs> there are two twin brothers are in a station wagon, just like I was in the mid eighties with my parents, except for in this station wagon, the mom is with a boyfriend making out Well, they sneak out the back of the station wagon. They go down the row of cars and a kid sees a couple having sex in their car. Well, it really makes him mad because that's what his mom's doing, you know, ignoring them as kids. So he kills them in a very brutal fashion, great practical effects. And then after he kills them, he puts a bloody knife in his twin brother's hand and is like, he did it, he did it. <laughs> well, that, that, that twin brother goes to prison for 20 years. Well, meanwhile, the actual killer twin brother is free. Well, 20 years later or whatever, he gets paroled from prison on Thanksgiving. And so the good twin brother's out and the evil twin brother again, starts killing, trying to blame him. So it's a really stupid, cheesy 80s movie, 
But as far as a Thanksgiving movie, I mean, there's not many choices out there. Let's be honest. Not for Thanksgiving horror. (laughs) I'm not going to recommend. Yeah, I'm not going to recommend like Thanksgiving and things like that. So that's a fun one. That's a fun one. It's a fun one. Yes, but (laughs) is it? Is it? I'm going to question. I'm just going to throw. Yeah, but I'm going to I'm going to stick to Blood Rage as far as my Thanksgiving horror goes. And then we also slightly mentioned in the chat that um the Thanksgiving commercial trailer by Eli Roth oh, yes. in the middle of the Grindhouse movies, uh, Death Proof and Plan of Terror. <laughs> that Thanksgiving trailer is amazing. And Eli Roth, I keep reading about it, and he's like, I'm going to make this movie someday. I'm going to make it someday. He just can't really nail down a plot that could that could live up to the trailer. I don't think he should <laughs> even try. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's why he didn't do it. That's why he's not yeah. doing it, because he's like, man, the trailer was so well fan accepted that Anything I make isn't going to live up to that trailer. Isn't that the one where there's like, I don't know, a topless gymnast jumping up on something? Yep. And yep. Yeah, yep. That's, yeah. I just, yeah, I will a, never a really get that image scene. out of my head with the turkey with the human face and then the guys. <laughs> yeah, the, the guy, guy is, is stuffing the something. turkey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, that's But, yeah, that, that but what do you guys great. think? You guys got any other ones? I've got, I mean, I'm going to state the extreme obvious one and I'm going to go with uh, one of the classics. It's it's in my top 20 all time films, planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, great one. And and it's an absolute, it's a tearjerker. It's a comedy. It's a buddy movie. It's an adventure story. John Hughes is kind of at his Zenith right here. John Candy is the, character who wants to get home but we don't find we find a big spoiler he has no one to go home to and steve martin gets caught up in business and can't get there and together they get to where they need to be through a lot of travail through a lot of heartbreak through a lot of getting to know each other my favorite scene in that film is when they've gone through everything they they're in this car that's burnt up they're finding this motel and the one guy, his credit card is burnt up and he can't pay for it. He go and he pays with his Rolex or whatever. And John Candy goes, I've got $15 and a Casio. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he, and that's not enough. They, they drink the little small whiskey bottles and it's an absolute, to me, that's a 10 out of 10. That's an absolutely fantastic, that's a fantastic movie. Now there's two films I wanted to watch that, that I considered. There is one from 1994 called Nobody's Fool. With That's Paul a great Newman. movie. Yeah, Bruce Willis, Jessica Tandy, uh-huh. Melanie Griffith. I think I've seen it, but it's been quite a while. Same here. I don't, I, I've seen I, it, but I don't remember much. I really wanted to watch that. And one that I haven't seen at all was uh, uh, a film interpretation of the old Arlo Guthrie song, Alice's Restaurant. And, and Nathan and I were talking beforehand, and that could just become a Strange Frequencies episode because i mean it's an an hour and uh sorry 111 minute version of a seven minute song (laughs) so there's got to be something to it and it gets a pretty decent a 6.3 rating on imdb now the other the only other one i'll mention is one that brian had brought up in the chat which is everybody's favorite Polly shore son-in-law Oh yeah. <laughs> Anything with Polly Shore. I mean, 1993 is of the time when I was, you know, I was 19, whatever. You have a couple of beers, you watch a movie. 
Pauly Shore is perfect to have in the background while you're chatting with the guys, having some beers, have a date, whatever. Son-in-law uh, I, is a fun movie. I would have <laughs> totally picked that one. But it wasn't streaming anywhere, but that would I would have picked that one. <laughs> but I couldn't find it. You know, let, can I throw in just a couple more real fast? Um, one more was we also talked about was Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Yeah. That was such a fun movie in the 80s. And I didn't even remember it being a Thanksgiving movie, but apparently remember in the opening scene, um, oh God, I can't remember his name now, but uh, he falls in the pool and they're Nick eating Nolte. Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, right? yeah Nick, Nick Nolte, Nolte yeah. yeah. And that movie, it just gets crazy where everybody's sleeping with everybody. I mean, it's just, it's an insane family dynamic type of movie. Then the other one that reminds me of just a real fun movie with friends. It kind of reminds me of a St. Almost Fire type of cast type movie was uh, The Big Chill. That took place yes. on Thanksgiving. Yes. And I couldn't find that yes. stream anywhere either. And that was, I could sit around, it was just some talking the whole time, but it intrigued me. And I could, I love that movie. And my, my, it's one of my mother's favorite films. She it's loves a great the movie. soundtrack. She likes it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, Nathan, before you get in, there was one other one I researched. I haven't seen that I wanted to. And I'm wondering if either of you two, especially as a critic, 1996 is The War at Home. Yes. Uh, with uh, Emilio. Yeah, Emilio Estevez, Kathy Bates, Martin Sheen, about a guy coming back from Vietnam. It's a bit overwrought. I think uh, Estevez directed that one, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. And, uh, of course, Martin Sheen is his father. He's in it. It it has a kind of hallmarkish vibe to it. I I know Estevez has directed a couple of movies. I I think he reaches a little too far in some cases. Now, mind you, this is my review of a movie I saw in probably 19... what 96 somewhere around yes, there yeah um and so i i couldn't tell you much about it now my memory was i was not uh, particularly like um overwhelmed by it you know i don't think that it was necessarily bad it just felt uh felt kind of contrived would be my my uh if i had if i was forced to come down on it but it's hard to come down on a movie i haven't seen in some 25 some you know 30 years so yeah. I'm almost wondering if it's Estevez's version of the classic seventies coming home. It's sort of along those lines. It is sort of, that's, I think my biggest issue with it is it didn't feel like it was saying anything new. It, you know, it feels like it deals in cliches a lot. Yeah. And I know that there's a couple that you have, Nathan. So uh, what are a couple you want to bring to the table that we might want to check out? Well, one of the best Thanksgiving scenes in movies of all time is in House 2, The Second Story. Um, uh, House 2? Oh, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, come on. You have a scene involving you know all the participants at the, at the table here. You've got an Incan princess. You've got a half pug, half caterpillar creature. You've got a decaying old grandfather. You've got a baby pterodactyl and And don't you have a head as a thanksgiving turkey well when you go when they go to open the (laughs) meal the the antagonist that was supposedly left in the mojave desert climbs right up out of that that thanksgiving meal full full tilt from night court yeah Yeah. no he's house one uh the the oh is there a different guy yeah, is I don't know the actor thing? in House Two. Oh. It's an evil cowboy. So House One, he's an oh, evil Vietnam oh, yeah. soldier. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen those movies since the eighties, but man, I love those movies. They are so much fun. Oh, oh, oh. They're kid well, horror movies. The, uh, one of them had Norm. 
And then yes. the other yeah, one had he, Cliff Clavin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ratzen, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ratzenberger's in the second one. He His scene, yeah. uh, which happens right after a Halloween party, had to jump from Halloween to Thanksgiving yeah. pretty quickly. But as an adult, that's what it feels like these days. You know, one minute you're celebrating Halloween, next minute you're celebrating uh, yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah, wasn't Ratzenberger like a house, like a pest inspector? Or no, he, pest he's like, he's the... Um, he is he's a cable repair guy. He comes in to check the oh, cable. Yeah, that's what he is. No, okay, electrician. Yeah. He's the electrician and he tears a wall, yeah. a hole yeah. in the wall, which leads to another dimension. And at the end he hands him his <laughs> when they say, Hey, we have to go in here and get the skull back. He says, Hold on. He opens up his toolbox and moves the tools and underneath is a sword perfectly laid out on like a on a kit on a cushion. And he gives him his his card that says electrician and adventurer under his title. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Man, those, those movies are so fun. They are. Those They're perfect, so like, gateway horror yeah. comedy movies. If, yeah. if I recall, there's a young Bill Maher. Yes, yep, yes. Yeah. He's the boy. He's the boyfriend in part one. The boyfriend, uh, like, the new boyfriend, I think. In part two, yep. Like, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, with Laura Park Lincoln from, from Friday the 13th. Uh, one yeah. of the Friday the 13th. But... Yeah, it is so there's that's the only scene, but it's a fun movie, a PG thirteen movie. I've made the statement that if that movie, if the adult characters had been aged eight and nine years old, it'd probably be more of a classic and would make a lot more sense. Because I feel like none of the characters in that movie, except maybe the grandfather, are adults. <laughs> but uh, I was gonna say House is one of those films you could legitimately call horror, fantasy, sci-fi, yeah. time travel. <laughs> You know, special effects, creature feature, all rolled into one. You're hard put to call the second one much of a horror film. They still try to keep that ambiance with the posters. The first one is kind of a horror movie. The second one is just, it's kind of nutty, zany. It's the way I, it's the kind of house I wish I lived in growing up where just another, each door was another (laughs) portal. I'd probably be dead, but still it'd be pretty cool. Yeah, part, uh, you're you're right. Part one had a lot of horror to it, like the closet scene when they throw the rope in there. Yes, like yeah. you said, Norm was over there helping them. That, that, yeah, it had that didn't look like a raccoon, buddy. Story. That didn't look like a raccoon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that those those are fun. A couple other movies. There's a movie from 1972. It's called Blood Freak, and it's a anti-drug pro jesus giant turkey wear monster movie and (laughs) it's insanely stupid but it's also that kind of bad movie brian i don't know how much you're into like just bad movies but if for me if you can have fun with it i'm i'm on board you know uh bad movies (laughs) yeah then this one is this as you're gonna say ironically i looked it up it's rated x it I don't know why really blood free but it's but it's pro Jesus it's it's, it's like they had some Christian backing <laughs> uh, th- this guy the here's the plot the bite this biker gets a job at a turkey farm this is IMDb and agrees to act as guinea pig for some chemicals that need tested uh, failing to anticipate the murderous side effects it literally turns into a, a wear turkey like a dig turkey monster that looks insanely goofy. He runs around hacking people. There's a whole drug subplot. There is like, well, you know, how do I turn this all around? I'll just give my life to the Lord. You know, it's just a lot of absolute weirdness uh, that happens in this movie. Uh, Where do you, he's like, how do you, one of the reviews on IMDb says, how do you describe this? Chances are the jargon turkey monster, Christian druggie, (laughs) inept scientist will come up in the process. But I think the best word that sums it up is amazing. (laughs) <laughs> this this movie, th- you know, this is Ed Wood levels of bad. There are scenes in this movie uh, 
where you can actually hear the director telling the cast members things like whispering, like uh, action (laughs) and get up slowly and stuff like that in the background of the actual film. You're right. It says certificate X. I don't, but for what? So it's like one card of the dead when the director throws the person in the scene action. Yes. I mean, this is, this is Yeah. Rated X for for what? Uh, This is absolute nonsense. There's a guy below that, that reviewed it. IMDB and he goes, Never have I seen a pro-Jesus, anti-drug, murder turkey, that's it. mutant vampire movie. I didn't even see that review, but that's exactly basically what I said. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's insane. I uh, one of the only reasons I didn't choose it was like, how, when would we stop talking about it? You know, <laughs> we would we you would. Know, just- that, <laughs> the rating doesn't surprise me because, like, look at the video nasty list from like the seventies <laughs> and eighties in the UK. Like, it's almost laughable. Some of the yeah. some of the movies they would put on that list, but then not put other ones on the list. It's like, come on. So I don't know. I guess when somebody has a a thing, a vendetta against a movie, they're just going to do that. But oh, it's funny uh, on the IMDb. It says, you know, if you might like this, you might like that. It has you might like Cannibal Ferox, but you might also like Fritz the Cat. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that's that is perfectly fair. Our buddy uh, Ian West is over in Land of the Creeps. He actually on Letterbox. I I looked to see the review, and it's actually Ian's review. He's a couple. He's he's reviewed it about three times. But one of his blurbs says, "Made it five seconds into the house before I overheard some family members talking, and I immediately turned around and went to a different room." And this is a perfect day drunk. Get me the hell away from my family movie. <laughs> and i think is awesome <laughs> yeah i think he sums it up perfectly um it is he, he also says a perfect day drunk absurdity oddity movie to watch on thanksgiving day before i get plastered to watch blood rage so here you go blood freak mm-hmm. blood rage there's your thanksgiving planned out it's yep. it's just ridiculous mess uh the other two that i want to mention there's a 1995 movie home for the holidays uh, it's not a it's a it's a drama comedy. It's directed by Jodie Foster. I think maybe one of her earliest uh, you know feature length movies. It was also uh, the W. D. Richter wrote the screenplay. Now he's been involved in things like Big Trouble in Little China and um, Big Trouble in Little China and Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. And he was a writer on one of uh, Bill's favorites, the 1978 Invasions of the Body Snatchers. Ooh. So uh, it's a, got a strong, it's got a strong cast. Robert Downey Jr. is on uh, in the film. He plays her her brother. Uh, he, this is one of the movies he admitted he was, uh, you know, actually doing heroin on the set of the film. And uh, Holly Hunter's in the film. Anne Bancroft, Charles Durning. Uh, it actually takes Dylan off. Dylan McDermott. Dylan McDermott. Dylan McDermott. Yeah. yeah Steve, Steve Gutenberg. The, the great. Steve yeah. Gutenberg. Why didn't I leave with? Why didn't I lead with Steve Gutenberg? Claire Danes. I mean, it's a big cast and. It takes place, you know, uh, near and dear to my heart. It takes place in Baltimore, in some row homes down in Baltimore, and it captures that ambiance perfectly. Uh, that where they they live in this film is about twenty minutes, uh, you know, down towards the city from where I live. David Strait Heron's in the film. It's a fun cast. Is it an amazing movie? It's not, but it's a kind of a nice, sweet sort of. Uh, just to the left of those Hallmark films. This is a little bit more like what your real family might look like. You know, is it very, it's very, very nineties. It's not a home run, 
but I do like it and I would recommend it. Uh, and it's, it's for everyone that's maybe not quite ready for some of the movies we discussed to just jump into that full, full blown nihilism or full blown darkness of Thanksgiving. This gives you some of the eccentricity with a still a little bit of the heartworm thrown in and a good cast. So I, I do like home for the holidays, but I was going to say, it's funny. I just looked it up and there's a picture of them walking down the uh, red carpet, you know, going to the premiere. Robert Downey Jr. looks like he's white as a ghost and has just shot up. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, he's taking his date down. The- <laughs> Jodie Foster had written him a note after this movie was done and was like, look, um, you know, she praised like everything he had done, like the work he did on the film. But he's like, look, don't ever do that on a movie set again. <laughs> Because apparently, yeah, he was like shooting up during that production. That was the beginning sort of of where his, uh, you know, uh, where, you know, he had his really intense drug period there for a bit in the 90s. Yeah, he was in one of my favorite ones, uh, Natural Born Killers. And that was right in that time period, too. I think that was the same year that this, or no, this was one year later. This was 95 over the holidays he plays the 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 brother who's just come out and that's causing you know it's 95 so that's causing a disturbance in the family and but um, i do yeah. love charles durning i love him as an actor he's great he would have been a much older gentleman at this point well, he's got a great scene where he walks out and there's a couple of guys a couple of the family members you talk about the people that are constantly fighting you know physically fighting each other during thanksgiving and there's a couple of them in this movie and he walks out with the hose just calmly walks and gets a hose and sprays them down Get the hell out of the lawn. Get back in the house. Whenever I think of Charles Durning, I always think of him in Tootsie. He's so good coming, in that movie. Coming on to Dustin Hoffman, <laughs> trying to you know grab her, grab her in the behind or brush up against her bosoms, not realizing it's a man. Uh, I was just gonna say, don't forget he was in uh, Greg and Morris's movie Night of the Scarecrow, nineteen eighty one. Yep, Night of the Scarecrow. He was in. Uh, uh, Stranger Calls too. Stranger Calls, Stranger Calls Back. You know those movies. Um, and I've talked about him many a times. He was when he died the most prolific veteran from World War II alive in the USA. Huh. Like in terms of accommodations, he apparently you know one heck of a soldier. Well, good for good for him. Yeah. A yeah. true hero. And I know that you have one other funny one that you want to mention, Nathan. Yeah, I and maybe we're on the same page here. Uh, we were we looked for it, we couldn't find it. That's the movie Dutch with Ed O'Neill from also by John Hughes, who did the Great Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is probably as Bill mentioned the definitive, you know, uh, Thanksgiving comedy. Uh, this kind of followed that same formula. It was Ed O'Neill and a very young oh, Ethan wow. Embry. And holy Ed, cow, I can't believe that was a kid. Wow. Y- yes, that was Ethan Embry. And Ed O'Neill is taking him uh, because he's, I don't know if he's married to her yet, but he's dating the, the kid's mom. This kid's kind of stuck up little rich kid who, uh, you know, he wants to be his father. His, his father is kind of like in his eyes can do no wrong. He understands it's not true, but you know, so it's, he doesn't like Eddie, Ed O'Neill at all. Cause he sees him sort sort of horning in on the family and he decides to go on a road trip and he's going to go pick the kid up from uh, the, the boarding school where he's at, or I guess from the boys school that he's at and bring him back for Thanksgiving. And of course, you know, was it hilarity ensues and all kinds of things happen that keep styming their road trip. Not unlike again, planes, trains and automobiles. So it gives the opportunity for Ed O'Neill and Ethan Embry to get into all kinds of ridiculous situations that of course end up with things like the car, you know, 
going uncontrollably down the highway and being lost and, and stuck in places that they, they can't get out of and bonding along the way. It's all very formulaic in a sense. But at the same time, I it it's a movie I think that still does have a lot of heart. There's a lot of nostalgia talking here. But I love the movie, and I think that Ed O'Neill, who at that point in time was just really big on Married with Children, and who you know he was kind of playing that sort of bemused slime ball sort of routine, that he kind of has to play it a little bit warmer here. And I really like this movie. I think it's one of those sort of uh, underrated movies that still to this day. <laughs> Doesn't get a lot of uh, a lot of credit. I, gonna, I don't think I've seen it in a in a hot minute, but I see Joe Beth Williams is in the film too. Are yes, you saying, yes. Are, are you saying Al Bundy's a slime ball? Bite your tongue. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, that's <laughs> that's sort of what he's playing. I mean, in the context, I'm not knocking Al Bundy, but like no, he's you no, know, that's no, I'm joking. He's yeah. a, I'm joking. He's a slime. He's a slime ball. <laughs> I mean, well, well, the question he, is. He, He's about his, the most egregious dad in the world, but that's why yeah. that show's so funny. <laughs> what was his top button done up? Right. Well, his hand down the front of his pants. <laughs> yeah, he just yeah. tucked it right in there. But I mean, that, the funny thing about that is you you look back at that show and it wouldn't play at all now. But, you know. Oh, God. It, it's so. There are so many non. Look up on YouTube, uh, like clips of. Uh, him calling women fat to come into his shoe yeah, shop yeah. and stuff like that. Like, that would never fly. Like, it is so not PC. <laughs> no. And, and I think the thing is, it's like, there's, there's a good actor though, in Ed O'Neill kind of underneath all of that. And, Oh, yeah, I think he displays yeah, a lot more of that in Dutch. There's a, he can't, there can't be any warmth in the Al Bundy. Cause it's all, it's all like the antithesis of like, you know, it's like, how can we go when you had characters like, uh, you know, um, Archie Bunker, you know, you, the, the stick behind the show yep. would always be to show the gentle, warm person under the, the gruffness. There isn't any of that without Bundy. You know, there's nothing underneath, you no. know? And, <laughs> and so for him to do something like Dutch, what's nice about that's the shtick is like, Nope, that's it. Every episode ended horribly. Sometimes characters would die and they'd be back the next episode, you know, but in uh you know it's like the it's he's like the uh, proto peter griffin but here in yeah. like um even homer simpson's more sympathetic than Albuquerque. but dutch it's funny you bring up dutch is uh, dutch is a great movie and it's i i honestly have not seen it probably since it came out in the 90s and um but i always remember that like i what i liked about that character from what i remember is he's not putting up with any of that kid's crap no, <laughs> <laughs> like he's not coddling him at all. And I love the, I, if I remember right, there's a scene where they go into like a Denny's and the kid's just refusing to eat. He's like, okay, fine. He orders a big Graham slam breakfast. He eats it all. He goes outside. They're pumping gas. He's burping. He's like, oh man, I'm so stuffed. You know, the kid's starving to death and he just doesn't care. He's like, well, if you're not going to eat, you're not going to eat. Then I mean, yeah. he, he's just a funny character in that movie. He plays it great. He plays it great. And and let me uh let me clarify. So this was written by John Hughes, wasn't directed by John Hughes. It was actually uh directed by Peter Feynman, but uh it has all the earmarks of of a John Hughes movie. Obviously, again, like I say, he did write it. And you're right, that yeah. scene, the kids berating him, talking about your you know, because he he's the kind of working class man, but uh he's yeah. he's made it. The kid doesn't know he's made it, so he's just berating him and he's telling him all these things and what he isn't and what he'll never be and that's when he does lean over to him and says well you know the one thing i can do that you can't pay for my own breakfast 
<laughs> the next scene is is him you're right burping into the wind you see the hot air and he says yep nothing burps like bacon <laughs> yep yep and you know the kid's starving to death yes, he's just because he, he's being he's being so stubborn but i'll i'll or uh ed o'neill i almost said all bunny ed o'neill doesn't buy into it he's like eh, okay starve <laughs> and for, right. for those of you unaware of pete Feynman. The movie he did five years previous to this was Crocodile Dundee. So, you know, like, obviously, John Hughes just made a phone call and said, I've got this script. I need somebody I can trust. Go to it. Crocodile Dundee is great. Yeah. It's another good one. So, yeah, I th- I think we've done Thanksgiving films really good. Yeah, I don't think we should do anything across. else. Yeah, we've, done ju- <laughs> we've done it justice, I meant to say. But... I mean, obviously, there are other movies that we've missed. This is just kind of a cursory glance at it. Anybody who has any ideas of things we've missed, any glaring errors, or ones that you want to pound the table for, let us know in the group. Put them up. What are your holiday favorites? Maybe it has nothing to do with a holiday film. Maybe you love watching Lassie. Maybe you love watching Cannibal Holocaust. Maybe you like watching the 1984 version of Dune. Whatever it is. Let us know. And right. uh, there's no wrong answers. And let us know because we're all movie files, regardless of the genre. We like to hear what you guys want to. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, I just want to mention that too that you guys recently in the past month started up the uh, Phantom Galaxy Facebook group. And um, I love that everybody's joining it. And I love seeing you guys post in there. Some great Because I love posting, like, I'll put my horror, but I'll still put sci fi, fantasy comedy phantom galaxy that's nathan's baby as he likes to say we're the russian nesting dolls of podcast <laughs> we, we don't talk about anything really and uh i mean a lot of fun you know you talk about uh, thanksgiving traditions mine was always watch monster movies on thanksgiving because the the tv the like a network television would always play like the old Harryhausen movies or maybe it would mix it up and do godzilla movies so i still have that like desire on a Thanksgiving afternoon to throw in some old, either old schlock or a Harryhausen movie and, and watch uh, for Thanksgiving. So, uh, Brian, it's been a ton of fun having you on here. Uh, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for picking the movies. Uh, we'd love to have you back. I'd love to come back. I'm so honored. You guys picked me to be on here. Like I said, it's the second podcast I've ever been on. And this was so much fun. I had so much fun and I'll come back anytime. I was going to say, for someone who said they were nervous, you were bang on. You were fantastic. And the next time, we want you to direct us and give us the topic. Oh, Whatever awesome. comes to your mind. Because yes, Phantom, Galaxy, Phantom Galaxy is not so strict. We can go into left, right, and center. So whatever kind of is on your mind. You want westerns. You want monster movies. You want to do Western monster teenage, movies. Western <laughs> teenage comedies, sex romps, whatever gets in your head. See, that's awesome because, know. you know, you guys know I love horror movies, but this gives me the opportunity to talk about other genres, which I'm overall just a movie fan, not just horror movies, yeah. even though it's my favorite yeah. genre. I love comedies. I love, I love, all, I love all movies. I love, if you, you want to do, if you want to do courtroom dramas, courtroom dramas, environmental oh. Films, uh, (laughs) obscure Japanese short films, whatever, you know. Sounds awesome, guys. I'd love it. So that's that's the show. Uh, And uh, Brian is a member over at the Phantom Galaxy group. You're also in the Land of the Creeps uh, group. You're a lot of different groups that Father and Son Watch are. I will put the link to the show notes for your episode that you did uh, on Halloween, on the Rob Zombie Halloween films. 
And oh, thank you. You can find us uh, uh, as always at Phantom Galaxy Podcast, uh, Phantom Galaxy Podbean.com. Find us Phantom Galaxy group page and the Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Phantom Galaxy. And uh, if you uh, head over, you can find us pretty much anywhere. Uh, Bill and I are, are, are working our way through to make sure that we're on all of the pod catchers. Uh, there are a couple that, you know, trying to make sure we're on Spotify and some other places. You can go over to Apple Podcasts and, uh, and please, if you go over there, leave us a five-star review just to helps us get, you know, out there a little bit more. And uh, Brian, you were one of the, uh, when you first started listening to the podcast, you went over and left us a review. I greatly appreciate that. Um, oh, yeah. Every, everybody. I urge everybody. Five-star review for you guys. And, and we say five stars that, you know, we want, you know, we want honest opinions, but also, you know, the five stars does help us in terms of uh branching the in terms of what people see and looking up and, and the uh, visibility of the podcast, you know, so like I'm a pretty humble guy, but I like my ego stroked every once. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you don't think it's five stars, <laughs> drop a five, you know, come on, be generous. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, a series note, go head over there. And until next time, this is the fan galaxy signing out. Take care and happy Thanksgiving. Take care, everyone. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth-pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth-pop, a lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Thank you.